When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dead America, Operation Bismarck. Dead America, The First Week, Book Four. Written by Derek Slayton. Narrated by P.J. Morgan. Chapter One. Day Zero Plus Four. First big snow of the year is early, Emily Walker said quietly, running her hand over the framed photograph of her husband. But I did as you taught me, brought in the harvest ahead of schedule. So your daughter and I are doing just fine. She paused, brushing a lock of her sandy brown hair behind her ear and glancing out the window. She took a deep breath and then looked back down at the photo. Well, as fine as we can be, given the sickness going around. She shook her head. Jimmy, you wouldn't believe it. Something straight out of one of those horror movies you loved so much. She blinked back tears as she smiled at the photo, feeling, not for the first time, that her late husband would be right in his element in a zombie apocalypse. There was a light knock on the doorframe, and she turned to the tall, teenaged blonde standing there, eyes soft. You talking to Dad again? Florence Walker asked. Yeah, seeing the early snow brought back some memories, Emily admitted thought it was a good time for a chat. She set the frame back on her desk. He always loved the first snow of the year, her daughter said wistfully as she entered the small office. He'd have us out in the front yard as soon as the sun came up, making a little snow family. Wouldn't let me go to school until it was just perfect. She approached the window and smiled, staring out at the dusting of snow sparkling in the moonlight. Emily chuckled. I remember getting yelled at by the school the first couple of years it happened, but they eventually learned that he was set in his ways and wasn't going to change. Well, if it's clear when the sun comes up, we'll have to make a small one, Florence suggested. I think you might be right, Emily agreed, and put an arm around her daughter's shoulder. So are you doing okay? Yeah, I'm all right, the girl replied. Just wrapped up a movie on DVD, then flipped through the channels. Everything in Bismarck is still out. Based on the pictures they were showing, I get the feeling they are gone for good. Her mother admitted, all the chaos in those streets, I just, I can't imagine there are too many people left in town. Are we going to be okay out here? Florence asked, her voice small. Oh, honey. Emily gave her daughter a tight hug and then pulled back, holding tightly to her shoulders. Yeah. We're going to be fine. 
We're twenty miles from the city, and we have a nice strong fence around the yard. There was a chirping sound from the computer on the desk, and the older woman turned to the screen. And we have a motion detection system, she reminded her daughter, so we'll know if anything is out there. She flipped on the monitor, and a dozen camera angles popped up in a grid. She scanned them, and then enlarged camera five. There was a lone zombie caught up in one of the barbed wire fences. See, we're just fine, Emily said, motioning to the screen. The fence caught one of those, one of those people. She turned to the gun rack and pulled down a scoped hunting rifle, checking the chamber. Florence clasped her hands in front of her. You want some backup? No, honey, I got this, Emily replied with a reassuring smile. There's just one of them, and I'm staying in the truck. Why don't you go get some water boiling so we can have some hot cocoa when I get back? Her daughter nodded and smiled back before heading for the door. Just don't be gone too long, or else there might be a shortage of marshmallows when you get back, she teased, and then darted off to the kitchen. Emily smiled and shook her head, and then headed outside, heart dropping into more somber territory as she approached the truck. All it would take was one of those fast ones slipping through their perimeter to destroy their quaint homestead. But she didn't want to worry her daughter. The drive from the house to the fence took a full minute, all the way to the far end of the property. Emily made sure to take it slow in the snow, taking care not to skid off of the path and then have to walk back to the house in the dark. As she approached the property line, she squinted at the zombie in the headlights. It had been a man once. It wore a black suit that was caught in the barbed wire, the right sleeve ripped completely off, and a big chunk of flesh torn from its arm. Its head lolled back and forth from the large hole in its neck, looking suspiciously like it had been torn apart with teeth. She swallowed bile and put the truck in park and opened the sunroof. She stood on the seat and took aim, but then the zombie managed to break free of the barbed wire, and in her moment of panic, she hit it in the shoulder. She had seen how fast these things could be and didn't know if they could climb, but she wasn't sure if she was safe in her vantage point. She quickly chambered another bullet and took aim again, expecting the zombie to have closed the 40 yards from the fence to the truck already. However, it took her a minute to find it, and when she realized the corpse had barely staggered a few yards towards her, she furrowed her brow. Why aren't you running? She muttered to herself. A cold gust of wind hit her in the face, and she hid beneath the down collar of her jacket until it subsided and her brow furrowed. She ducked into the cab and checked the temperature gauge. Six degrees, she read, and then stood back up. And with the wind chill, it's a hell of a lot colder than that. She bit her lip in thought and then took aim at the zombie that had only made it about 15 more yards in its staggering stupor. She carefully lined up the shot and took off the head of the walking corpse, leaving the dead businessman sprawled out in crimson snow. She quickly slid back into her seat and threw the shifter in reverse, tearing off back to the house a lot less carefully than she'd approached. Emily burst through the front door and then locked it securely behind her. Florence, she called. The young blonde emerged from the kitchen with two steaming mugs in her hand. You got good timing, Mom. Honey, I need you to pack an overnight bag. 
her mother instructed. Florence froze, eyes widening. Mom, is everything okay? Everything is fine, hon, Emily assured her. We just have to go over to the Wainwright Ranch. The Wainwrights? The young woman's brow furrowed. Mom, what's going on? I'll explain on the way, her mother said. We don't have a lot of time. She paused at the panicked expression on her daughter's face. Honey, we're safe. It's just that I figured something out about these things, and I think the Wainwrights might be able to help. I need you to pack a bag, because we might be over there for a night or two. Florence nodded with a half-hearted smile, and then looked down at the mugs in her hands. And our drinks? Pretty sure there's a couple of travel mugs above the stove. Emily replied with a grin and took the steaming cups from her daughter. I'll get these things poured over, and you go get your things, deal? Florence nodded. Deal. She ran off to pack as her mother entered the office. She set the mugs down on her desk and opened the closet, moving a few boxes out of the way to reveal the gun safe in the back. She punched in the code, and it popped open to reveal a handgun and a few boxes of bullets. She smiled to herself as she holstered up, remembering the pride in Jimmy's eyes when he'd gifted her this set on their first anniversary. She'd been so upset, thinking it had been a necklace, and it had crushed him. Well, Jimmy, she said as she turned back to the smiling portrait on her desk. Only took 15 years, but I finally love my first anniversary gift. Chapter Two Emily pulled the truck onto the Wainwrights Ranch, which was by far the largest in the area. It was a massive crop operation, as well as large chicken and hog farming. During harvest season, there could be as many as a hundred workers on site. But this time of year, it was just the large family in the house. As she approached the driveway, she stopped at the gate, where somebody flashed a flashlight twice at her. That was the local signal for I'm a human in those parts since the apocalypse happened. She rolled down the window, and the oldest of the eight Wainwright kids, Chad, approached her in the dark. With his six-foot-two frame, he had to lean down to see her, his broad shoulders nearly taking up the whole window. Miss Walker, is everything okay? He asked. Emily smiled. Hi, Chad, she greeted. Yeah, we're fine, but I need to speak to your dad. Ma'am, it's a little late in the evening to be making house calls, he replied gently. She took a deep breath. I wouldn't be asking if it wasn't urgent. He took in her face and tone, and then nodded slowly. All right, Miss Walker, he drawled, and she couldn't deny that the miss instead of missus stung still after all this time. Just let me lock this gate up and I'll hop in with you, he offered. Thank you, Chad. Emily replied with a relieved smile. He secured the gate and then hopped into the truck bed, tapping on the window to let her know that he was sitting down. She carefully drove up the lengthy driveway to the house and put it in park as the young man jumped down into the snow. His thick arms strained at his coat in the headlights, looking like he was strong enough to lift a cow after milking it. Mrs. Wainwright and her oldest daughter Susanna stood in the doorway squinting at the truck as Emily shut it down and got out, Florence behind her. Chad? Mrs. Wainwright asked, voice strained. What are you doing back? 
The young man motioned to the two women behind him. Miss Walker needs to speak to Pop. The older woman nodded, her graying hair glinting in the moonlight. She waved to her daughter next to her, an early 20s tom girl with a smart black ponytail. Susanna, go get your dad and tell Kristen to put some coffee on. Yes, ma'am, Susanna replied with a nod and disappeared back inside. Chad stepped out of the way so that his mother could greet Emily and her daughter. Well, my goodness, Florence, Mrs. Wainwright gushed, motioning the young girl forward and taking her hand. You were turning into quite the young woman there. Didn't realize you had gotten so tall. Thank you, Mrs. Wainwright, Florence replied politely. My mama is raising me right. I have no doubt she is, the older woman exclaimed. I tell you what, why don't you go on in and warm yourself by the fire? I think my youngest, Jonathan, is about to put on a movie. Thank you, ma'am, the young blonde replied, and on her mother's nod, scurried inside. Chad shut the door quietly behind her, and the trio moved down the porch a bit out of the snow to talk. Mrs. Wainwright turned to Emily, eyes hard. What in the world is wrong with you, she hissed. Mama, Chad balked, be polite. Trust me, son, I am being polite, his mother snapped and turned back to Emily. What could possibly be so important that you'd put that sweet young girl's life in danger to come over here at this time of night? Don't you know those things are out there? Mrs. Wainwright, Emily replied, raising her hands in defense. I'm here because we're all in danger, and I think we have a window to do something about it. What in the world are you talking about? The lady of the house demanded hotly. Get your husband and we'll talk, the sandy-haired woman insisted. Probably a good idea for Zach and Chad to join us as well. Mrs. Wainwright stared at Emily for a moment and then took a deep breath, inclining her head to her eldest son. Chad, go get your brother. Tell Kristen to bring the coffee to the dining room. That way we can talk and the young'uns won't overhear. Chad nodded and headed inside. Emily pressed her hands together. Thank you, she said, sincerity in her tone, and the women entered the house. Emily, it's good to see you again, Mr. Wainwright greeted as he entered the dining room. His six-foot-six frame hulked over the table, and though he was balding a little, his late fifties state didn't show as a result of a life on the farm. Zack entered behind him, almost a carbon copy of his older brother, just a little bit shorter. You and Florence are holding up okay? Yes, sir, Emily replied with a smile. We're stocked up pretty well and been riding this thing out. He nodded. That's good to hear. He took a seat at the head of the table as the fiery-haired Kristen entered with a pot of coffee. She poured cups for everyone, and then her father gave her arm a gentle squeeze. Honey, thank you. Why don't you go in the other room? He took a sip of his hot brew as she did so, and then turned to Emily. So, what can I do for you? I need your help in blocking off the three bridges over the Missouri River in Bismarck, she said bluntly. The silence in the room was immediate all eyes on Emily as if she'd grown a second head. Several awkward moments passed until Mr. Wainwright finally took a long, thoughtful sip of his coffee and then stood from the table. Emily, it's always good to see you, he said. Please enjoy your coffee and have a great night. She smacked her hand down on the table 
startling everyone in the room except for the man of the house. He glared at her with disapproval. Don't dismiss me like that, Emily demanded. We're all in danger, and if we don't act right now, we're going to lose our chance. He sat back down and motioned for his wife to pass the carafe of coffee. She refilled his mug as he folded his hands in front of him. You know, Emily, your husband was a good man, he began. Fiery like you. When his family moved to the area, he actually worked on my farm that first summer. I'm not sure if you knew that or not. Hell, he couldn't have been more than Florence's age. Worked harder than most of the hired help ever did, and from then on, I had a great respect for him. He paused and took a sip of his fresh brew. When he passed, and you took over the farm responsibilities, I was skeptical at first. But it didn't take long for me to see that same level of dedication that he had. You and your family have been a great asset to this community, which is why I will hear you out. He took a deep breath. Please explain why you think we need to go on a suicide mission to Bismarck. She licked her lips and straightened her shoulders to the skeptical group. We've all seen the images on TV, she began. Hordes of those creatures rampaging down the street, running faster than most of the citizens, swarming through buildings like locusts. Hell, most of us in this room have had up-close and personal encounters with a couple of them. I know you lost a son to the sickness, and I'm so sorry for your loss. I'm even sorrier that you had to put down the thing that he became. She took a deep breath as the table took a moment to regroup after the mention of their fallen son. One of those zombies got onto my property tonight. I found it tangled up in the barbed wire on the far end near the woods. He was wearing a shredded business suit, which means he most likely found his way here from Bismarck. Come on now, Chad scoffed. You can't know that. Emily cocked her head. Chad, you're what, 28, 29? 28, ma'am, he replied. In all of your 28 years on this earth, how many people wearing business suits have you seen around these parts? She asked, not including weddings and funerals. He opened his mouth and then promptly closed it again as he thought hard. He shook his head. Not too many, ma'am, he conceded. Even if Chad is right and he was a local, we have to assume that sooner or later those zombies are going to get bored and wander out of the city, Emily continued. All it would take is one desperate person fleeing the city to draw them our way. I don't know how good your fencing is, but mine can barely handle six, let alone 600 or 6,000 of those things. Mr. Wainwright took another sip of his coffee, seeming to contemplate for a moment before addressing her. Emily, I understand your point, I really do. But with as fast as those things are, I just don't see how we're going to be able to block off the bridge, let alone three. This is why I rushed over, because time is of the essence, she replied, leaning forward at the opening for her to explain. The snow is slowing them down. Zack's brow furrowed. How is the snow doing that? The businessman could barely walk, staggering across the field as if his body was frozen, she said. I mean, they've lost their minds and souls, but they're still made out of the same stuff we are. It was a relatively warm day when this hit, and now it's a negative wind chill. Wouldn't take long for a lightly protected body to seize up. If we have enough people and go about it in an intelligent way, we can pull this off. Mr. Wainwright nodded. Okay, if you're right and these things are as slow as you say, then we might have a chance. He agreed, though he sounded reluctant. Do you have any thoughts on how to block off the bridges? 
Snowplows, Emily declared. He leaned back in his chair, a smile emerging on his hard-edged features. That is a brilliant idea, he admitted. Those things are big and heavy, and the ghouls aren't gonna be able to move them. Any idea on where we can get our hands on some? Before I took over the farm, I was a big city girl, remember? Emily asked, eyes brightening with excitement at his interest. The company I worked for had a huge contract with the city government for vehicle maintenance. And guess who handled all the scheduling for pickups and drop-offs? Don't know if they're all running or not, but I'm sure we can scrounge up a mechanic or two. All right, Mr. Wainwright said slowly, pursing his lips in thought for a beat. We have an idea of what we're doing. Now we're just gonna need the manpower to pull it off. I think the two ranches north of my property were either abandoned or got hit with a sickness, Emily replied. He turned his head to the door. Susanna, he called. Can you come here for a minute, please? She entered the dining room with curious eyes. Yes, Pop? Are you still friendly with that boy down at the Prime Dude Ranch? Mr. Wainwright asked. Zach made a noise of disapproval. The Eldons, but they, I know what they did, boy, his father snapped, but these are desperate times. Susanna waited for her brother to sink into his chair. Yes, Pop, she replied, a blush creeping up her cheeks. His name is Miles, we're still on good terms. Mr. Wainwright took a deep breath, seemingly uncomfortable with his daughter being on good terms with a dude ranch cowboy, but followed his own desperate times advice. I want you to head over there and see how many you can recruit to our case, he instructed. They don't shut down to tourists until the end of the month, so there should be a good number of their staff there. Miles said they had several people come down with the sickness, but they were able to contain it, Susanna said. A lot of those boys are from out of town and come in for seasonal work, so they live there. They probably got 30 or 40 people over there. I'm sure even with Miles in your corner, Mr. Eldon's gonna have an issue since you're a Wainwright. Her father mused. When it gets going, just let him do his little bitch and moan dance for a couple of minutes, and tell him if he helps us, I'll consider our land dispute finished in his favor. Now, I don't know if that's gonna do a whole lot, given the whole end of the world thing we have going on. I'm hopeful, though, he's just petty enough to think getting one over on me is worth it. All right, Pop, I'll go right now, Susanna replied. He put up a hand. Take Chad with you. I don't need an escort she declared hotly. Mr. Wainwright raised his chin and looked affectionately at his daughter. Susanna, you're my baby girl, and I know you can whoop everybody's ass in this room. His gaze hardened, but it ain't about that. It's dark, it's snowing, and there are undead cannibals roaming around, so nobody goes out alone. And then he can fill you in on the situation on the way. She nodded in defeat and turned to her brother. I'm driving, though. Works for me, sis, Chad replied, putting up his hands. Means I can focus on my coffee instead of the road. He led her out of the room. Mrs. Wainwright stood. I'm gonna go check on the young'uns, she said. If y'all need more coffee, just give me a holler. She shared a smile with her husband, and he winked at her before she chuckled and left the room. So I guess that leaves us to plan this thing, huh? Emily piped up. Mr. Wainwright nodded. Yes, ma'am, it does. He turned to his remaining son. Zach. Yes, sir? Go into my office and look in the bottom right drawer of my desk, his father instructed. There's gonna be a bunch of old maps in there. 
I want you to look through and find one that has a detailed layout of the city and bring it here. Grab some pencils while you're at it. Yes, sir, Zack replied and headed to the office. Emily pulled her cell phone from her pocket. I can't get us directions because the cell service is down, but I can pull us up a current map, she said as she swiped around the screen. Well, I'm a little more analog, Mr. Wainwright admitted with a chuckle. Plus, when we explain the plan, it's gonna be a little hard to get that many people around your phone. Emily sighed. Here's hoping you're right, she said, and raised her coffee mug. They clinked glasses, praying that space would be an issue when Susanna returned. Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online Masters of Social Work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Chapter 3 Susanna pulled up to a stop in front of the Prime Dude Ranch, its large, ornate gate extending a good 20 yards in either direction before turning into a standard barbed wire fence. There were two cowboys standing guard with shotguns in their hands, and one raised a hand in greeting as the young woman rolled down her window. Ma'am, sir, can we help you? The cowboy asked as he shone his flashlight into the cab. Susanna nodded. We're here to see Miles and Mr. Eldon, she replied. I'm sorry, ma'am, but Mr. Eldon isn't receiving visitors, so you'll have to come back to- Listen, you rent-a-cowboy motherfucker, she cut in, eyes darkening. Open this goddamn gate right now before I get out of this truck, whoop both your asses and open it myself. Her visceral onslaught of profanities stunned the young man, and he looked to Chad, who calmly took a sip from his still-hot travel mug. You might want to do what she wants, bucko. The passenger said brightly, as if he didn't have a care in the world. The cowboy took a deep breath and looked back at Susanna, whose eyes seemed to be calculating a countdown to kick-ass time. He raised his hand. Let's open it up, he said, and his partner unlatched the gate. The young woman immediately punched the accelerator, speeding off down the driveway, amused as she kicked up muddy snow at the two guards. Chad raised an eyebrow and slurped at his coffee again. Good to know that summer at finishing school wasn't wasted on you. Oh, I can curtsy like a motherfucker, she replied with a sly grin. It's my victory pose after kicking someone's ass. He shook his head with a chuckle as they pulled up to the house. It was a three-story building with two bunkhouses to the left, marking the center of the large compound. A young man emerged onto the front porch as they approached, dressed in typical rancher gear with a six-shooter holstered on his hip. His slender face broke out into a boyish smile, and he ran a hand through his sandy blonde hair when Susanna emerged from the driver's seat. 
The guards just radioed in that some crazy woman threatened to beat them down and she was headed to the house, Miles declared as he descended the porch steps. I had a feeling it might be you. She gave him a tight hug and then stepped back so that Chad could shake his hand. Well, we have a bit of an urgent situation on our hands and didn't have time for pleasantries, she replied. Any chance you can go get your boss for us? Chad asked. Miles nodded. Yeah, come on in out of the cold, I'll go get him. He waved for them to follow him inside. There were a dozen civilian city folk huddled around a kerosene heater in the main room, looking like they'd been in shock since the apocalypse happened. The Prime Dude Ranch was a bit of a tourist attraction for townies to come learn what it's like to live out in the country. That group must have been their clients when the end of the world happened. Y'all wait here, Miles said. I'll go get Mr. Eldon. It's gotta be hell for them, Chad murmured as he followed his sister's gaze to the city folk. Stuck out here with their loved ones back in the city and no way to contact them. I don't know how they handle it. I've found that alcohol helps a great deal. A man broke away from the huddle and approached them. Sorry for eavesdropping. I was just trying to focus on something other than the sobbing of my city brethren. It's all good, mister, Chad assured him. The man extended his hand. I'm Ernest. Chad, the young man replied, shaking his hand. And this is my sister Susanna. Ma'am, Ernest greeted. She shook as well. Sir? I picked a hell of a time to come out here late, didn't I? He laughed bitterly. Usually make this trip in the summer, but for some reason I decided to take up basketball. Six weeks in and an air cast later, and this is the only week they had left open. Forgive me for saying, sir, Susanna began politely. But you don't really strike me as the country type. She raised an eyebrow. Ernest nodded. Well, for most of my life, you'd be right, he admitted. I grew up in Chicago and pretty much never left the city, except for a few weekend trips to Vegas. Then five years ago, a buddy of mine gave me a gag gift, a week at a dude ranch. I called his bluff and used it, and it's been an annual tradition ever since. Guess deep down, I'm really a country boy at heart. Well, sir, it's a pleasure to have you out here. Chad replied, but I'm sorry you had to leave your hometown. Hell, I'm not, Ernest said, putting his hands up and shaking his head. I saw the news before the TV went out. If I was back home, I wouldn't be alive. Chad and Susanna Wainwright. A husky male voice broke the somber mood with a bucket load of condescension. To what do I owe the pleasure of your company? Susanna turned to face the tall, bald man with the tight white beard. Mr. Eldon? she said. We're here because we need your help. Her mouth snapped shut as he barked an incredulous laugh. That's rich, he guffawed, catching his breath. That old bastard Wainwright, sending his kids over to my house to ask for my help? After the stunt he pulled, stealing my land? What, did he think that just because you're getting all lovey-dovey with one of my top men, that somehow I'd go along with it? Susanna opened her mouth, but Chad touched her arm a wordless reminder of her father's advice to let Mr. Eldon throw his tantrum. Glenn, can you believe the balls on him? The older man turned to his middle-aged companion with tanned, leathery skin. Glenn shook his head. No, sir, Mr. Eldon, I don't believe I can, he agreed. And the two of them shared another round of cackling. All right, all right, the older man finally said. Just to satisfy my own curiosity, what favor did y'all need from me? I'd like to know what I'm rejecting. 
The Wainwright siblings looked at each other, and Susanna finally motioned for Chad to speak. Her annoyance was boiling too hot. She didn't want to ruin their chances. We need as many men as you can spare, Chad said. We're going into Bismarck to block off the bridges across the Missouri so those things can't get over to us. Mr. Eldon and Glenn shared an incredulous glance before the older man shook his head in disbelief. You know, Chad, Susanna, I want to apologize for laughing at your old man there. It's just not polite to make fun of them mentally ill like that. Susanna bristled. Listen, you son of a bit. What my sister is trying to say, Chad cut in. In so many words, is that we have an opportunity to protect our community, and we have to do it now. And if you agree to help us, our father is willing to end the land dispute in your favor. Mr. Eldon cocked an eyebrow. Entirely in my favor? Yes, sir, Chad replied. The older man pursed his lips, mulling it over, stroking the feather-light hairs on his chin as he did so. Glenn, how many people we have on staff who could be useful? Not sure who all is left, his companion replied with a shrug. But probably about 40, 45 able-bodied people. All right, pick the five best men you have outside of you and Miles, Mr. Eldon instructed. Have them stay behind to guard the homestead. The rest of us are gonna take a ride and hear what Mr. Wainwright has to say. If y'all give me a minute, I'll grab my things and join you, Ernest piped up. Glenn narrowed his eyes. This don't concern you, city boy. Oh, it doesn't? Ernest squared his shoulders. Last time I checked, I'm stuck here just like you are. Whether you like it or not, this is my home too for the foreseeable future. His opponent sneered. In that case, you should just sit back and enjoy our hospitality while the adults go out and handle the business. Listen, you hillbilly bumpkin, Ernest snarled. I know math isn't your strong suit since you got kicked out of the third grade after your kid got promoted to fourth, but let me lay it out for you in simple terms. There's 50 of you and 50,000 of them. You need all the help you can get. Glenn stepped forward, towering over the city boy with his broad shoulders. Chad took a step forward, but Ernest put out a hand to motion for him to stay back, standing his own ground. All right, I've had about enough of your shit, city boy. The leathery-skinned farmhand growled. We're going to war, and we need men who can shoot, not pencil pushers who want to hide in an office and come play cowboy on the weekend. Fair enough, Ernest replied, putting up his hands. Let me shoot for you. I prove my worth, you drop the attitude. I hit nothing but air, I go back to sipping coffee by the fire with no complaints. Good enough for you? Glenn grinned and snatched his walkie-talkie from his belt. Front gate, come in he said into the mouthpiece. There was a crackle before the reply. Go for front gate. You boys got any live ones out there? The middle-aged farmhand asked. Yes, sir, we got a batch of them on the east side of the property, came the reply. We were just about to head over. Glenn grinned. Stand down, boys, I'll take care of it. He motioned to his coworker that hovered near Susanna. Miles, take city boy here to the armory and let him get whatever he wants. No need, Ernest replied with a grin of his own. I have a gun in my room. Just gonna take me a few minutes to get it ready. Miles looked to Mr. Eldon, who had simply watched the entire scene unfold with amusement in his eyes. The older man gave a slight nod of approval, and Miles clapped Ernest on the shoulder. All right, let's go grab it, he said, 
and followed the city boy to his room. Chapter 4 Well, I'll be damned, Emily was right, Chad breathed as he watched the half-dozen zombies struggling lazily in the barbed wire. Those things aren't moving very fast. Hell, I'm slowing down and I have a jacket on, Susanna added. Can't imagine those dress clothes are providing much coverage. Fast, slow, I don't really care, Glenn huffed. I'll blow their heads off regardless. He turned as Miles drove up in his pickup, parked and hopped out. Ernest slid from the passenger's side and reached behind the seat to grab his gun. All right, city boy, Glenn drawled. Let's see what you got. Ernest slid out a twenty-two repeater rifle and approached them, the bright silver glinting in the early morning sun. Their escort let out a deep belly laugh at the sight of it. Oh my God, city boy, are you serious? A twenty-two lever action repeater? Who the fuck do you think you are, Richard Boone? Richard Boone was paladin on Have Gun Will Travel, Ernest replied, voice completely level and calm as he joined the group. The man who made this gun famous was Chuck Connors in The Rifleman. If you're going to attempt to insult me, at least get the name right. Yeah, yeah, Richard Boone, Chuck Connors, don't matter. You're still a pussy for using a twenty-two. Glenn replied, waving him off. Now see, you need to man up and get you one of these. He slung his gun from his back and took aim. Remington bolt action hunting rifle. Watch what this baby does. He squeezed the trigger releasing a thunderous clap that resulted in a zombie head exploding in a display of crimson. Whew, that was awesome. That's what a man's gun can do. Let's see your pussy 22 do that. That is an impressive weapon, Ernest said. How many rounds does it hold? Glenn puffed his chest out. Got a capacity of four. I will say that was a hell of a display there, the city native admitted. I was wondering if you could show me that one more time. Oh, and could you reload it too? The farmhand narrowed his eyes in suspicion, taking in Ernest's calm and innocent expression. All right, city boy, I'll show you one more time. He removed two rounds from his gun, and Ernest stepped closer to Susanna and tapped the watch on her wrist. That's really nice, he said with a smile. Does it happen to have a stopwatch on it? She raised her wrist to look at it. Yeah, I believe it does. Would you be so kind as to tally how long it takes our friend here to shoot and reload? Ernest asked sweetly. She raised an eyebrow and gave him an amused smile, nodding in agreement and setting her watch. All right, city boy, watch close, Glenn warned. He aimed and fired, taking off another zombie head. He reached into his pocket pulled out a handful of rounds, rapidly putting them one by one into the gun before slamming the bolt back into position. And time, Ernest declared. Glenn furrowed his brow in confusion as he turned to look at them. And what? It took you eight and a half seconds to fire that last round and reload, Susanna replied. Hell, that's pretty good if you ask me, the farmhand said with a haughty look, especially out here in the snow. And if we were hunting game or shooting bottles on a fence, I'd agree with you, Ernest agreed, his voice still the same level calm as when he'd gotten out of the truck. But as you said back at the house, we're at war. He stepped up beside the farmhand and raised his rifle. Susanna, would you be so kind as to time my next four shots? 
She chuckled and shook her head, raising her wrist. You got it, Ernest. He took a deep breath before raising his rifle and rattling off his shots, one right between the eyes, then a quick throw of the lever to chamber a new round, rinse and repeat. With each impact, the ghouls fell limp, their heads not exploding, but the bullets finding their mark. After four quick shots, Susanna declared, 2.8 seconds. Well, it seems to me, hillbilly, that my 22 did the trick. Ernest shifted his weight to his left hip, cocking his head in amusement. Four kills and a third of the time it took you to shoot and reload. And while my kills weren't nearly as impressive as yours, I didn't spray infected blood all over the place. I still have 17 rounds loaded up as well, so I can keep on killing. My ammo is also lighter, readily available in just about every store, and thanks to attitudes like yours, will be easy enough to find since it's not manly enough for you types. Now, you have anything else to say other than to offer an apology to the late great Chuck motherfucking Connors for demeaning his weapon of choice? Glenn shook his head, lips pressed into a thin line, cheeks red with embarrassment. Susanna slowly raised her hand. Ernest smiled at her. Yes, ma'am? Okay, I've got a question, she said. Where in the world did you learn to shoot like that? When I got back from my first trip five years ago, I wanted to learn how to shoot, Ernest replied. Turns out those bigger rifles hurt my shoulder too much, so I needed to drop down in caliber. The shooting range I went to would play old westerns to set the mood. They had an episode of the Rifleman playing, so I gave a repeater a chance and loved it. Had them make me up a custom one like from the show, since I knew it was my weapon of choice. His four companions stared at him blankly, and he sighed. Yes, I'm fully aware that I have way too much disposable income, that I can have a custom bright silver repeater built, he admitted. But given what you just saw, aren't you kind of glad I did? Glenn approached him and put a hand on the shorter man's shoulder. All right, city boy, you got me, he said with a grin. But after we get through this, I'm gonna show you how to shoot a man's gun. Cause you can pull that off at 20 yards, but you ain't gonna be able to do much from 100. Ernest laughed. You got a deal, hillbilly. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? 
Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Chapter 5 Mr. Wainwright patted his wife on the shoulder as she and Kristen handed out beverages to the several dozen men and women piled into the house. He headed to the center of the living room and raised his hands as the murmurs grew in volume. Everybody quiet down now, he directed. I know y'all have questions and they will be answered shortly. Your boss, Mr. Eldon, and I have some things we need to hash out before we can get this show on the road. In the meantime, while y'all are sipping your coffee and making small talk, get broken up into groups of four or five. I'll consider it a personal favor. He turned and headed to the dining room, leaving the throng of rugged men and women in cowboy gear to organize themselves. He shut the door, giving privacy to the group huddled around the map on the table. Man, that is one wild bunch out there, Mr. Wainwright said. Ernest looked up at him. Hopefully they're like the wild bunch, because we got a lot of things that need killing. Come on, Wainwright, let's have it, Mr. Eldon urged, rolling his hand in a motion for him to start talking. What's your big plan? Emily, it's your idea, the man of the house said gently. Lay it out for the man. She pointed at the map. There are three bridges that cross the Missouri, she began. From north to south, they are the I-94, Main Avenue, and the 194. We're going to need a team stationed at each bridge to make sure the path is clear for us so we can set up the snowplows. They're also going to need to secure the barricades once they have been delivered. What do you mean secure them? Ernest cut in. They should be heavy enough to secure on their own, right? They aren't a perfect fit, Mr. Wainwright piped up, meaning we need men in on the bridge to plug the holes between them. We got plenty of sheet metal and bolts that will be reinforced with any cars that are on the bridge. Not going to be perfect, but going to be damn difficult for a group of them to bust through. Mr. Eldon leaned forward. So, where are these snowplows? He asked. There's a huge storage facility on the east part of the city by Lyons Park, Emily replied. The building itself isn't difficult to get in, but with the streets being flooded with those things, we had to think outside the box. Which is where I come in. Susanna raised a hand. I'm going to be leading the decoy team. We're going to be the first in, draw their attention, and lure as many of them to I-94 East as we can. We aren't going to be able to get all of them, but hopefully we can clear a path for everyone. Glenn crossed his arms. So, you're just going to have hundreds of those things just latched onto the truck? You ain't gonna have enough ammo to fend them off. She reached under the table and grabbed a long metal rod with a trigger on the end. She tossed it down on the table in front of him. A cattle stunner, he asked. Are you kidding me? Each one of these canisters delivers a blow powerful enough to penetrate a cow skull and put it out. 
she replied, holding up a CO2 cartridge. So while I have my doubts it's strong enough to penetrate your thick skull, the average human isn't going to be a match for it. Well, that may work all good for you, Glenn shot back, face reddening a bit with the insult. But what about the rest of us? We're not exactly swimming in ammo. There's a gun store a few blocks northwest of the Capitol building, Emily said. We're going to have a team take it over, and runners bringing ammo to the bridge teams. I can lead that team, Miles piped up. I'm familiar with the store, so I can get us in and out. Emily nodded. Make sure you got a good driver who knows the city. Chances are they're going to have to take more than a few detours. Glenn let out a deep breath. Well, damn, girl, looks like you've thought of everything. If you think that now, just imagine how you'll feel when I finish, she replied, giving him a wink. And he blushed, giving her a nod to continue. There are going to be two more teams. The first is going to get to the roof of the Capitol building. It's the tallest in the city and will provide a pretty good view of the area. From that vantage point, they'll be able to direct traffic, call out hordes, and be able to let us know if we're about to hit trouble. It's not perfect, but it's better than nothing. Chad raised his hand. I'll lead that team. It's going to be a haul getting up those stairs. Just make sure you pick a team that can keep up with you, Mr. Wainwright warned. His son nodded. I'll handle it, Pop. And the other team? Ernest asked. They're going to be on rescue duty, Emily replied. The city may be mostly dead, but there are bound to be survivors. We gotta pull them out and get them to safety. Hang on now, Mr. Eldon said loudly, putting both of his hands on the table. We're already starting to ration our supplies. If we start taking in more people, we might find ourselves with not enough to go around. Let me ask you a question, Mr. Eldon, Emily began her voice level as she eyed him. You have a pretty substantial farming operation to go along with your dude ranch, is that correct? Yes, ma'am. The older man preened a bit under the praise. Outside of Wainwright here, I have the largest operation in the area. So for planting and harvest season, you bring in what, a couple hundred seasonal workers? Emily asked. He nodded. Yes, ma'am. How many of them you think are gonna show up this year? She raised an eyebrow, and he opened and closed his mouth like a fish. He closed his eyes and nodded slowly as the realization sunk in. I'm sure between our farms, we can scrounge up enough food to get us through the winter. I thought that might be the case, Emily replied, satisfied. Zack raised his hand. I'll head up that team. There are some shopping areas in the south of the city that would be a good place to start. Couldn't hurt to check for a few supplies as well. That's a good idea, Emily agreed. But people are the priority. We can always scavenge for supplies later. And that's the plan in a nutshell, Mr. Wainwright spoke up. We're going to hit the center bridge first thing, since it's the direct pipeline to the city, and decide from there based on the ground conditions. Anybody have any questions? Just one, Ernest said. If we block off the bridge, won't they just come across the ice when the river freezes over? Hasn't gotten cold enough in years for it to freeze to the point where people can walk across it, Mr. Wainwright explained, shaking his head. That said, once we get the bridges secure, we're going to have patrols go through there to make sure we don't get stragglers. Good enough for me, Ernest agreed, and clapped his hands together. So when do we get started? First light. Emily replied. 
Don't know if this snowstorm is going to stick around or not, so we have to assume our weather advantage is going to leave sooner rather than later. Ernest smiled. Lucky for me, I always wanted to see the sun rise over Bismarck. Chapter 6, 7.33 a.m. Come in, Mr. Eldon, Emily said into her radio as she watched the fat snowflakes fall heavily on the city streets through her binoculars. The clearing they stood in was relatively safe, but there were dozens of zombies visible across the main avenue bridge, flanked by easily a hundred staggering corpses. There was a crackle as the older man came back. Eldon here. How is the I-94 bridge looking, she asked. Half dozen at most on the bridge, and not a whole lot else, he replied. Won't be a problem to take them out and get set up. She nodded. Just make sure you do it quietly, she reminded him. Ten four, came the reply. Glenn, Emily continued into the radio. How's the 194 looking? It's a clusterfuck with a capital C-F, Glenn responded immediately. Probably 30 of those things on the bridge. She chewed her lip for a moment, thinking hard. Can you see anything on the other side of the river that you might be able to use as a distraction? She asked. Hang on, came the reply. Emily turned to Susanna at her side. If they can't find anything, you may have to swing by there after clearing the gun store route. We don't need an escort, Miss Walker, Miles replied, voice level. I appreciate the thought, Miles, but your team is the linchpin of this operation, Emily explained. If we don't have the ammo, we aren't going to be able to hold down the bridges. I'd rather delay taking the 194 than risk you guys. All right, it's your call, Miles agreed. My offer stands, though, he added. She nodded. Noted. A gunshot cracked in the distance, followed by the loud bleeding of a car alarm. Emily raised the radio to her lips again. Guessing you found something there, Glenn? Yes, ma'am, he replied. We'll get this thing secure for you. I don't doubt it, she said to him, and then clipped the radio back to her belt. All right, Susanna, you're up. Head up Washington, then cut across on East Boulevard. Just keep on state till you hit I-94. What about the path to the snowplow warehouse? Susanna asked. It's only a few more blocks, and it's mostly residential once you get past the Capitol building, the older woman explained. If there's too much heat, we'll just circle the block to buy us some room. All right, you're the boss, the younger woman replied and gave her a little salute. Chad's team will be 90 seconds behind you, and I'll be right behind them, Emily assured her. Zach, if you want to follow us in now, you can. Go ahead, Zach. We got to stay back anyway so we can help your dad secure the bridge, Miles said. Mr. Wainwright shifted his weight with a playful smile. Just as a point of order, we don't really need the help, but we ain't gonna turn it down. A chuckle rippled through the group before Emily declared, we're burning daylight, so let's get to it. Susanna clambered up into the truck bed and then smacked the roof of the cab when she got into position. Let's get a move on slow and steady, she called. And make sure the plow is dragging. We want as much noise as we can get. A hand emerged from the driver's side window giving a thumbs up. The driver fired up the truck and headed towards the bridge, the plow attachment on the front scraping against the pavement. 
it sent an ear-splitting screech through the cold air, an occasional spark brightening up the dim morning. Emily headed over to Chad and his five burly team members, dressed in their insulated farmhand outfits. They looked like a pack of denim bears with knit caps. Chad, you got everything you need? She asked. He nodded. Yeah, we got ammo and rations. Binoculars? Four sets, one for every direction, he confirmed. She put a hand on his arm. How do you feel about your team? I don't even know these boys' names, Chad admitted. But I'm taking Glenn at his word that these are the best he has. Mr. Wainwright peered through his binoculars. 30 seconds. Looks like I'm about to find out, Chad said, and exchanged a good-natured fist bump with Emily before they retreated to their respective vehicles. The six farm boys bustled into a large, rugged SUV, Emily's team jumping up into the bed of a truck. Susanna watched the plethora of corpses moving behind her. Most of them were moving pretty slow, but a few looked like they might have died more recently and were still warm enough to move faster than the others. The driver slowed approaching Washington Street, not wanting to risk spinning out on the icy roads. Turn coming up in about 10 seconds, he yelled out his window. Susanna braced herself. Just don't fuck it up, cowboy, she barked back. Two of the faster-moving zombies managed to grab onto the tailgate, and she fell into a crouch, loading a CO2 cartridge into her weapon. Really hoping I'm right about this, she muttered under her breath as she extended the four-foot-long metal shaft. She pressed it into one of the zombies' forehead and pressed the trigger. The force of the blast caved in the corpse's forehead, and it fell limp and flopped down into the snow. Oh, yeah, Susanna grinned. We're in business. She popped out the spent cartridge and reached down into one of the four large boxes of ammo. She chambered another and shattered another zombie's cranium before grabbing the side of the truck bed for the turn. The horde following them continued to grow into the low hundreds, zombies emerging from every nook, cranny, alley, and building. The screeching of the plow had stopped hurting her ears at least, but it was still doing its job. Susanna lifted her radio. Emily, we just made the turn onto Washington, she said. The horde is moving a little slow, so you may want to give it a few minutes. You drawing a good crowd? The older woman asked. Probably picked up about three, maybe four hundred of those fuckers already, Susanna replied. At this rate, we're going to clear out a good portion of the city on this trip. Here's hoping, Emily came back. Be safe and keep me posted. Susanna nodded. You got it. She clipped the radio to her belt and popped another cartridge into her cattle stunner. I got something for the next one of you assholes who gets bold, she declared to her followers. She received lazy moans in return and lowered to her knees, spreading them slightly for balance. She watched the Capitol building as they passed, noting the several dozen zombies milling about the courtyard. She leaned back towards the cab. Honk the horn a few times, she instructed, and he complied, blasting the horn. The loud blast drew the attention of a good number of the corpses, but not all of them. When it stopped blaring, she pursed her lips, not seeing as many as she would have liked ambling towards them. When you get to the turn, stop for a minute and lay on the horn, she instructed. 
We gotta get as many of them as we can. The driver's arm jutted back out the window, giving her another thumbs up. Oh, and you may want to roll your window up in case those things get close, she said. I'll smack the roof when it's time to go. There was a double tap from the inside of the roof, and she nodded, spreading her feet a little into a power stance. All right, she growled. Come and get some. The front line of the easily near-thousand-strong horde approached the back of the truck, swarming and grabbing for her. The horn blew, and the mass of rotting flesh continued to grow. Susanna dropped them one by one as they got too close for comfort, though more were eager to take their place. She frowned as the corpses grew taller, standing on the backs of their fallen brethren. Yeah, I think that's good enough, she muttered, noting that most of the stragglers from the capital had joined them. She smacked the roof of the truck and then knelt down immediately so that she wouldn't tumble into the horde. She felt the truck shift into gear, but didn't jump forward as quickly as she'd like. What's the fucking holdup? She barked and peered through the back window. There was a decent wall of zombies in the way, having come in from the other side. She drew her handgun and stood up, leaning over the roof of the cab, popping off a few rounds at the creatures pushing up against the front. It was just enough to give the truck an advantage, and the driver punched the accelerator, giving them a good 20-yard gap on the horde. Susanna knocked on the roof as she knelt back down. Yes, ma'am? The driver asked through his now unrolled window. She leaned over the side of the bed. The I-94 on-ramp is about a mile up, she said. Head east, and when I give the signal, you floor it and get to the next exit to head back to the bridge. With any luck, those things will just keep on walking. Here's hoping, ma'am, he replied. Susanna rolled her eyes. And stop with the ma'am shit. I ain't dainty, I'm an ass kicker. My name is Susanna, use it. You can call me Randall, he said. Oh no, you haven't earned first name status with me yet, she said, shaking her head. We survived the day, and I'll upgrade you from driver to your real name. She caught a glimpse of an amused expression in the side mirror. Sounds like a fair deal, Susanna, he replied. She smacked the side of the truck. All right, now quit your yapping and get back to driving. Yes, ma, uh, he stammered. Susanna? She cracked a smile and turned back to the horde, settling in on her knees and pulling her radio. Come in, Emily, she said. The response was immediate. We looking clear? Don't know about clear, Susanna admitted. But it's a hell of a lot clearer than it was 10 minutes ago. Good enough for me, Emily replied. I'll tell Miles to be on standby. Should be there in 15 or so, the younger woman reported. Be safe, came the reply. Emily out. Susanna rummaged in the CO2 cartridges and found her flask, unscrewing the cap to take a well-deserved drink. She sighed with relief and then buried it back in the box. Mmm, that'll warm you up, she murmured. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Chapter 7. 7.53 a.m. Chad spread the map out on the dashboard from the passenger seat, studying the roads carefully as one of Glenn's men drove. All right, Lowell, the burly Wainwright said. As soon as we turn onto state, the entrance to the Capitol building is going to be the first left. The driver nodded. Yeah, I remember coming here on a class trip once. The driveway circles that big open field. I'd stick to the left driveway for approach, Chad suggested. The library is just off the right side, so there's a bigger chance of running into resistance there. Sounds like a plan, Lowell agreed. He turned into the driveway and veered to the left, staying on the path of least resistance. It was lined with trees and perfectly clear, so he accelerated. Easy there, man, Chad warned. No need to take a risk. Relax, man, the driver replied. I drive in stuff ten times worse than this all the time. He waved his hand and increased his speed. His passenger growled. Slow the fuck down. Lowell glowered at him, taking his eyes off the road, just long enough to miss a trio of zombies emerging from the tree line. He glanced back at the road and spotted them, jerking the wheel to the right. He smacked into one of the corpses head on, causing the truck to spin out into a 180 and slam into a tree. The impact shattered the back passenger side window. The two remaining zombies leaned in the advantageous window, like a drive through for human meals, latching on to one cowboy's throat. One tore his Adam's apple clean off as he gurgled, screams muffled from the blood and damage to his vocal cords. The attack shook the others from their shock, and Chad unbuckled his seatbelt to barrel out of the truck. He drew the attention of one of the corpses, drawing a large hunting knife as it turned to him. He slammed the blade into his opponent's skull and then realized that one of the cowboys had drawn a handgun to deal with the other one. Chad put his hand up. No, don't fu- His warning was cut short by the thunderous blast of the gun. The zombie's head exploded, spraying blood and bone towards the Wainwright boy. He turned just in time so that his back caught the worst of the blast. The cowboy staggered out of the truck disoriented from the close contact blast echoing in such a small space. The shattered door fell open, the bitten victim falling to the snow, blood pouring out of his throat like a faucet. Chad ignored him, rushing to his live companions, shoving them towards the Capitol building. 
Get moving, he cried. Those things are going to be coming our way. The shooter got up and stumbled towards the direction of the building, zombies' moans permeating the cold air around them. Chad threw open the driver's side door and reached in to help a dazed Lowell undo his seatbelt. You ever disobey me again, I will shoot you myself, understood? The Wainwright boy snarled, and Lowell nodded jerkily, eyes wide. As he exited, one of the others screamed, their reanimated friend having sunk his teeth into one of the other passengers. Chad immediately buried his knife into the newly minted zombie's skull, its jaw slackening to let go of the cowboy's arm. He looked helplessly at the now wounded passenger, anger swelling in his eyes at the thought that so much death had been uselessly caused at the hands of one man's ego. A zombie smacked into the side of the SUV in a mad attempt to get to them, and Chad shoved the wounded man ahead. We'll deal with it later, go, he cried. They moved quickly through the fresh powder, leaving a trail of footprints and blood in their wake. He drew his handgun, deciding there was no use trying to be quiet anymore. When they were about 40 yards from the door, a few zombies came trudging through the courtyard. Chad kept his gun trained on them, but they were semi-frozen and weren't moving too fast. The group reached the front doors of the Capitol building. The Wainwright boy pushed on the door to make sure it was unlocked, and it was. When we go in, he said, keeping his eyes on the abominable snow zombies, we're going to the left. Hug the outside wall until you get to a corner. That's where we should find the fire escape staircase. Is everybody ready? The group nodded, drawing their handguns. The wounded cowboy took a moment to tear the bandana from around his neck and haphazardly wrap the wound on his forearm. And remember, Chad added, these things have been inside, so they're probably going to be faster. Lowell flinched at the moans getting louder and louder. Should we chain the doors behind us so they don't get in? No, it might hinder our escape, Chad replied, or our rescue. They all shared concerned glances, and then he took the handle in his hand once again. Here we go, he declared, and pushed inside. Chad entered first, into the spotty fluorescent glow of the emergency lights. The team moved at a quick pace, but cautious, eyes darting everywhere and ears straining over the clicks of their boot heels on the tiles. There were a few adjoining hallways off of the main corridor, and Chad stopped at the first intersection to peer around the corner. He waved the group after him, after checking to make sure it was clear, and repeated the process at the second hallway. At the sight of a zombie, he backed up hard into Lowell, whose gun clacked against the wall and alerted the enemy to their presence. Chad lashed out, and grabbed the zombie by the throat, holding him at bay, holstering his gun so as not to attract any attention. The thrashing, however, alerted more corpses down the hall as shrieks and footfalls echoed towards the group. Chad picked up the zombie and tore for the fire escape stairwell, smashing the corpse into the door. Lowell grabbed the handle and wrenched the door open allowing their interim leader to dart inside and pile-drive the zombie headfirst into the concrete stairs, snapping its neck. The rest of the cowboys bustled into the stairwell, and Lowell pulled the heavy door shut behind them before the pursuing zombies reached them. All right, boys, 
Chad said, brushing his hands off on his pants and drawing his gun again. Only 21 flights up, let's get to it. He motioned for Lowell to lead, and the burly cowboy headed up at a brisk pace. His boys followed, and Chad took up the rear with the injured man. How's your arm, he asked, and then bit his lip. I'm sorry, man, I've forgotten your name. It's all good, the guy replied. Name's Rex, and my arm is burning like a motherfucker. Chad shook his head. I'm sorry, I wish there was something we could do. We're doing our part to ensure that the innocent people on the other side of the river are gonna be safe, Rex replied with a determined look on his face. If I gotta go out doing that, I'm okay with that. Chad nodded solemnly. You have my word that your sacrifice won't be in vain. When they reached the 21st floor, everyone was huffing and puffing from the exertion of practically flying up so many flights of stairs. You guys all right? Chad asked. Two of the cowboys gave haphazard thumbs up, doubled over to catch their breath. He moved to the door and ever so gently cracked it open. There were a few dozen zombies milling about the large open space. None were close to the door, and he shut it as quietly as he could. Well, that's no good, Chad said with a sigh. Lowell chewed his lip. Can't be that bad, can it? I saw about 20 of them between us and the doorway to the roof, the Wainwright replied. The burly cowboy's eyes widened. Fucking hell, man, there's no way we can get by that. What about the elevator? Rex asked. Lowell shook his head. Fuck that, I ain't getting in no elevator. I wasn't asking you to, Rex replied, irritation lacing his tone. What if we used it as a diversion? One of the tired cowboys stood up from his heavy breathing fit. Not a bad idea. Couple of us can go down a few floors, rig it to stop on every floor to this one. When it dings, it'll draw those zombies to it. It's a tight window, Chad mused, but doable. The cowboy grinned and slapped his buddy on the shoulder. Come on, Don, let's take care of this. Alan, why you gotta volunteer me for shit? Don huffed. Alan grinned. Hey, at least it ain't cleaning out the chicken coop again. Yeah, it's just running for my life from zombies. His friend rolled his eyes. Totally better. Wait, wait, wait. Lowell cut in, putting up his hands. Why don't we just go down a floor and look out the windows? Because this building was put up in the 30s, Chad replied. We wouldn't be able to see very much due to the tiny windows. Rex nodded in agreement. Plus, there's no telling how many zombies are on the floor below us. It's all right, Lowell, Alan assured him. We got this. He and Don headed down the stairs, stopping on the 18th floor. Don cracked the door, revealing a mostly empty hallway. He stepped halfway in and smacked the wall a few times, the noise echoing in the dim space. When nothing came shrieking and running at them, he waved his partner in and they moved cautiously into the corridor. Guns raised, they worked their way to the far end where the elevators were, and Don hit the button. His partner froze. Hey, man? Yeah? Don asked. Alan motioned to the doors with his thumb. Think there are any zombies in the elevator? They shared a worried glance and ran a few feet back from the door, taking a stance behind the reception desk. The elevator gave a happy ding, revealing three stumbling corpses.
Holy fuck, Alan cried and fired, striking one of them in the head. The other two turned and tore for them, the cowboys each emptying half a clip before finally dropping them. The first one had fallen in the path of the elevator, and the doors tried to close on it a few times before letting out an annoying buzzing noise. It's a shame we can't keep that sound on to the top floor, Don said, and his buddy reached down to shuffle some items around on the reception desk. He found a small MP3 radio player and hit the power button. Some new age music blared through the small speakers, and he shook his head. Fucking hipsters, man, he muttered. Don raised an eyebrow. I think you mean hippies. Hippies, hipsters, fuck them all, Alan replied. Just give me some Johnny Cash and let's call it a day. Can't argue with that, his friend agreed. Alan headed over to the elevator and set the little unit in the middle of the floor. Don pulled out the barricade zombie, and Alan hit the buttons for floors 19 through to 21. He slipped out, and the duo ran back to the stairwell and up to meet the rest of the team. We heard shots, Chad called down the stairs, as soon as the cowboys started to run up. You guys okay? Yeah, we're good, Alan huffed as they made it to the landing. Had a few uninvited visitors in the elevator. The Wainwright boy nodded and then carefully cracked the door again. He waited with bated breath as the far doors gave their ding and then opened to reveal the blasting music. Go, Chad hissed, opening the door as the zombies all took off towards the elevator. The cowboys moved quickly and as quietly as they could towards the stairwell in the center. It was a walled-in staircase in the middle of the room, with a door at each end to help insulate the floor. He opened it, but the click of the latch was enough to attract a straggler zombie from the elevator. It shrieked, and Chad knew that there was no point in trying to be quiet anymore. He shot it in the head and held the door open. Move, he cried. He and Rex opened fire on the rushing horde as Lowell, Allen, and Don burst through the door and up the stairs. Rex shoved Chad in after them, taking a few bites to his legs as the Wainwright boy staggered up the stairs. From the top, he popped off a few more rounds to allow Rex to clamber up as the zombies piled up on top of each other to give him a momentary lead. As soon as he was clear, Chad slammed the door shut and Don and Alan braced it with a nearby beam just in time. My God, Rex, Lowell cried, accentuated by thumping on the other side of the door. The wounded cowboy laid in the snow, several bite marks oozing crimson onto the fresh white powder. Most of them were superficial, but one on his bicep was flowing fast. Is it too late to switch to the decoy team? He asked hoarsely. Chad barked a laugh, causing the fallen cowboy to crack a smile. Come on, let's get him over by the wall, he instructed as the smile turned into a coughing fit. Blood splattered Rex's chin and chest, spraying even more across the snow. Man, if you all give me a few minutes, I think I can take a watch. It's all good, man. I think you've earned a break, Chad replied. The fallen man groaned as they propped him up against the stairwell wall under a little overhang so the snow wasn't falling on his face. Appreciate it, he said. Alan, Don, start seeing what you can see, Chad instructed. 
The duo nodded in unison and split up, moving to opposite ends of the building. They took out their binoculars and took stock of the city's situation. All right, Chad said quietly to Lowell, taking him aside. I don't know how Mr. Eldon does it, but on my farm, we have a rule. You fuck it up, you clean it up, and you see Rex over there, that's your fuck up. Whoa now, Lowell snapped. You ain't laying this at my feet. Chad grabbed him by the collar and slammed him up against the door, eyes hard. Listen, you arrogant piece of shit, he said, voice low and menacing. You're the one who decided to be a hotshot and drive fast. You're the one who wrecked the car, and as a result, got your boy killed and Rex bitten. So you are going to man the fuck up and take responsibility for what you've done. Lowell clenched his jaw, swallowed hard, and then nodded jerkily. Okay, he conceded. What do you want me to do? He probably doesn't have much time left, Chad replied, letting go of the cowboy. But that man has earned every single second, so you're gonna watch over him, and when the time comes, you're gonna put him down. Lowell's jaw dropped. I, he stammered, I don't know if I remember what I said to you back in the car, Chad snarled. Only difference is that now I'm gonna save the bullet by throwing your ass over the side, we clear? He gulped. Okay, I'll take care of it. Chad nodded and pulled out his radio as the cowboy moved over to his fallen comrade. Emily, come in. Gonna have to give me a minute, came the crackly reply. He took a deep breath. I'll be waiting. Chapter 8, 8.04 a.m. Okay, Odell, it's going to be about three more blocks up on the left, Emily instructed to the driver. When you get to the intersection, I want you to stop so we can take stock of the situation. The middle-aged, dark-skinned man nodded his graying head. He drove slowly through the residential neighborhood, jaw tight at the sight of what looked like a war zone. Limbs stuck up through the snow, bloody tracks cutting paths between the houses. A lot of the doors were hanging open, some of them houses smoldering from fire. He slowed to a halt at the intersection not wanting to jostle the six people huddled in the truck bed too much. Emily scanned the area with her binoculars. Doesn't look like a whole lot is going on, she said. Pull up around the back side of the building. Odell drove to the large warehouse, a two-story tall building with lots of catwalks and no walls. The alleyway behind was still, fresh snow with no tracks. There was a good 30 yards on either side of the vehicle, and the entire crew hopped down, clustering around the warehouse door. Emily stood between the team and the door, raising her hands. Okay, everybody listen up. I didn't see any broken windows or doors on the approach, but that doesn't mean the building is going to be clear. If someone with the sickness took refuge in there, we could have some runners. She pointed to a short, rotund farm worker in the group. Ken, you're my mechanic, right? Ken nodded. Yes, ma'am. Okay, I need you to stay in the truck with Odell while we clear the place, she instructed, and the driver waved him into the open passenger door. Come on in, brother, Odell said with a smile. I got the heat blasting and a thermos of coffee. Ken smiled and clambered up into the cab. We need to split into two teams, Emily continued. I need one person with me to go up to the office and get the keys, and the rest are gonna clear the floor. 
A large man in what looked to be his mid-thirties stepped forward. He had a massive, broad build, like he'd been throwing hay since he was in the womb. I'll come with you, ma'am, he offered. Emily nodded. Thank you. Irwin, he finished. She smiled. Irwin, sorry, too many new people. It's no problem, ma'am, he assured her. Okay, you four need to sweep the building, Emily said. There should be a line of plows in the middle, so you're gonna have to watch every corner. A slight cowboy that looked to be in his mid-twenties stepped forward. Alex, Barry, Randall, I think we need to stick together, he said. Two covering the front, one covering the gaps in the plows, and one covering the rear. It may take a little longer, but gonna be safer. Good idea, Jay, Randall replied, and the other two nodded in agreement. I'd head to the right a little when you go in, Emily instructed. It's a little shorter to the end, and there's a fire escape door. So if you do get overwhelmed, you have a way out. Jay nodded. We'll do. So where are we going? Irwin asked. Emily turned to him. The main office is straight back of this door. There is a staircase that'll take us up to it. It's a big two-room office, so be careful when clearing it. She waited for his nod, and then faced the door. All right, let's do this. Everyone drew their weapons, except Barry, who carried a bulky, sawed-off shotgun. Hey, Jay, I'll take the gaps, he declared. If anything is in there, this baby will take it out. They lined up behind him, ready to flank Emily and Irwin going in first. Jay gave a quiet countdown and opened the door. The warehouse was cavernous, with at least a dozen snowplows lined up on both sides of the door. The lights were out, but there were enough skylights to provide natural light. Emily rushed in first, taking quick glances to either side as they reached the end of the plows. There were no sounds of movement, nor any physical evidence of any struggle. The duo quickly and quietly headed up the metal staircase, sweeping around with eyes and weapons as they went up the final few steps. The office had large glass panels overlooking the warehouse floor, and Emily reached out for the door handle. Ma'am, Irwin said quietly, let me go in first. He stepped closer, and she nodded before flinging open the door. The large cowboy moved in, gun raised, sweeping the room quickly. She stepped in behind him, misjudging the door, and it slammed a lot louder than she meant it. The noise caused Irwin to whip around leaving his back open for an overweight zombie to surprise him from behind. He turned just in time for the large zombie to crash into him, sending the two of them into a wooden desk with a loud crack. Emily stumbled backwards as the corpse sunk its teeth into the cowboy's throat, hitting the floor hard. The zombie's head snapped up to look at her, a chunk of flesh dropping out of its mouth with a wet smack. It screamed at her, and she fired once, hitting it right between the eyes. Her radio crackled. Emily, come in, Chad said. Her hands shook as she lifted the radio to her mouth. Gonna have to give me a minute, she replied. I'll be waiting, he promised, and she clipped the radio back to her belt. She trained her gun on the fallen cowboy, shaking as his last breath left his lungs. As soon as his hand fell from clutching at his torn throat, she fired a shot into the top of his skull. Her knees threatened to buckle as she inspected the zombie she'd taken down. She kicked it to make sure it was gone, 
and realized there were no signs of it being bitten. Poor man, she thought, must have had the sickness and came here to live out his days. She moved around the office, sweeping the rest of it to make sure she was fully alone. She walked into the back office and found the key box on the wall open. There were two dozen sets of snowplow keys, and she grabbed the first four before hurrying out to the staircase. As she reached the first landing, a lone shot rang out from the other side of the building, startling her. Everybody okay? She called. Yeah, we're good, Jay yelled back. Dumbass here got spooked by a raccoon. She descended the rest of the stairs and met his team at the bottom. Where's Irwin? Barry asked. Emily shook her head. One of those things in the office got him. They took a moment of silence before Jay took a deep breath. So what now? He asked. You three are with me, she said, and handed out sets of keys. We're going to drive to the bridge. Mr. Shotgun here is going to stay here with Ken to make sure our mechanic is safe. And when you collect Ken, tell Odell to be ready to follow us to the bridge. All right, you heard the lady, let's get a move on, Jay declared, rolling his hand above his head. The cowboys broke formation and headed to the plows. Emily took a deep breath, closing her eyes for a moment, and then straightened her shoulders. She pulled out her radio as she headed to her plow. Chad, come in, she said. It crackled, and then, go for Chad. We got the plows and are about to head out, she said. Our route to the bridge looking clear? Yeah, you should be good to go, he replied, voice somber. Emily furrowed her brow as she got into the driver's seat. You doing okay? Just a hell of a morning, he replied after a beat. Get on the road and I'll fill you in while you drive. She nodded. Ten four. She fired up the plow, satisfied with the loud growl of the engine, and lifted the CB radio to her mouth. All right, boys, let's do this. Run number one. She hit the garage door button clipped to the sunshade above her head, and the large door at the end of the building opened. She pulled out slowly, leading the caravan of plows out towards the bridge. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Chapter 9 8.15 a.m. Miles held a sheet of metal against one of the vehicles, while a few of his men bolted it in place, further securing the pedestrian walkways on the main avenue bridge. His radio crackled. Miles, you ready to go? Susanna's voice came through. He whistled loudly to get his team together. Yeah, Susanna, we're ready to roll, he replied into the mouthpiece. We've picked up some stragglers, so rather than bringing them by the bridge, we're just gonna head up Ward Street, she explained. I'm already past y'all, so get loaded in and come on. Path should be pretty clear for you. He paused and then clicked the button. You doing all right on ammo? Yeah, I got plenty of cartridges left, she replied, and he didn't miss the hint of affection in her tone. Although if you come across a shotgun, I wouldn't turn it down. 
prefer buckshot so I can take out a few of them at the same time. He grinned. I'll pick you out something nice. Always the sweetheart, she said. I'll let you know when you can come by, he promised. She clicked over and took a deep breath before saying, be safe. You too, he replied, and clipped his radio back to his belt. He jumped up into the bed of the lead truck and addressed his team. Colby, Duncan, you're on me, he said. We hit the store hard and fast. You other three know your destinations. The three drivers nodded and made noises in the affirmative, donning their seats in a series of slamming doors. Colby, a mid-forties ex-army veteran, clambered up into the truck bed. He was an old hand at the farm, and a little heavier than the rest, but his expertise in weapons was unmatched. Duncan followed, an early twenties, dark-haired man that looked like he was carved out of marble. He closed the tailgate behind him. The trio crouched as the trucks began to move, ready to pounce as soon as they stopped. The tires kicked up fresh powder, fishtailing a little on the slick bridge. Soon they were speeding down to Ward Street to make the turn towards the gun store. Miles' jaw dropped in horror as they rolled past a small strip mall, all the front windows smashed in, half-eaten bodies littering the parking lot. There were numerous bullet holes in the smattering of cars left behind, and he shook his head at the evidence of so much death. The convoy pulled in behind the gun store, a large building taking up half of the block. The solid brick fortress loomed overhead, bars on the windows like a castle. The trio hopped out and rallied the back door. Miles tried the knob, but it was locked up tight. He nodded to Colby, who opened the back door of the extended cab to grab his blowtorch. He clicked it a few times and got a bright flame flowing. He stepped forward, and in a matter of seconds, he burned through the lock, freeing it from the door. He turned off the torch and set it down, drawing his handgun. Quick but thorough sweep, Miles instructed. Call out what you see. They nodded in agreement, and he threw the door open, leading the charge inside. The store was a supercenter of weaponry. There were five aisles lining the entire length of the store, broken up by two cross gaps. The front had a massive glass display wall full of heavy-duty weaponry, the kinds that every gun fan dreamed of, but never had the scratch to drop on it. Miles headed straight ahead through the gap in the aisle, looking up and down to check for enemies. Aisle two, clear, he whispered. Colby and Duncan flanked him closely, each aiming down one side of the aisle as he moved forward. Miles stopped at three and saw two zombies to the right. He raised a hand to his team, signaling two, and they nodded. Duncan and Miles leaned into the aisleway, each aiming at a zombie head, Colby covering them from the back in case of unwanted attention. They fired simultaneously, one zombie going down and the other taking a bullet in the neck. The latter screamed and rushed them, meeting a hailstorm of bullets from the startled duo. It finally dropped, but the silence that followed was broken by a moan from the front of the store. The trio turned to see a gigantic zombie in survivalist gear stomp around the end of the aisle to face them. The only blood on him dribbled from his mouth, proof that he'd been a sick man who tried to prepare as best he could. 
Miles took a knee as they opened fire, the zombie sprinting towards them with surprising speed for its size. It reached him first, and he shoved against its chest so that Duncan could fire point blank. The impact sent the creature flopping backwards, spraying Miles in an impressive splatter of blood and brain matter. They froze stock still, straining their ears in the empty store, waiting for any sign of more corpses. After a few beats, they relaxed, and Miles stood up, picking chunks of flesh from his hair. Ah, uh, sorry about that, man, Duncan said thinly. His companion laughed, tossing a piece of brain to the tiles with a wet smack. Well, at least you didn't miss him with that last shot. They shared a chuckle, and he clapped both men on their shoulders. Come on, let's get the trucks loaded up. Ammo and semi-auto first. They're good on hunting rifles, but they'll need something to take on multiple zombies if they draw too much attention. What about basic gear? Colby asked. Lights, night vision, stuff like that? Save it for the second load, Miles replied. This trip is all about defense. We can stock up on other essentials while they're gone. They rushed through the aisles, grabbing every bit of ammo, magazines, and heavy-duty assault rifles they could carry, and ferrying it back to the trucks. The driver stood guard, making sure that the noise from inside hadn't attracted any unwanted attention. One by one, the trucks headed off towards the bridges full of gear, and as the last one sped off, Miles shut the back door and secured it with a metal bar. He looked around and noticed a heavy-looking display for camping supplies. Duncan, give me a hand with this, he said, and the strong farmhand grunted as they shoved the heavy display against the door. Well, now that we're snug and secure, where do you want to get the stash set up? Colby asked. Miles pointed up. Let's pull stuff to the roof, he said. I know it's going to be a bitch, but we have to assume the next time they or anybody come this way that they're going to be bringing company. All right, I'll start staging stuff by the ladder to the roof, Colby replied. Pretty sure I saw some rope ladders in the next aisle. Might come in useful. Miles nodded. Sounds good, let's get to it, and I'll call in the progress. He walked over to the glass counter and pulled out his radio, checking out the shotguns on display. Susanna, you copy? he asked. While he waited for her to come back, he grinned at the sight of a hot pink shotgun on the rack. He picked it up and shook his head, knowing that if he gave it to her, she'd shoot him with it. You make it to the gun store, okay? Susanna came in. He raised the radio back to his lips. Yep, and the first load is on the way to the bridges. You wanna come by and pick up your new toy? I thought you'd never ask, she replied. We're south of the Capitol building, so should be there in about 10 minutes or so. I will be on the roof, he said. Be safe. He clipped his radio back to his belt, and then his eyes lit up at the sight of the perfect gun. Oh yeah, that's the one. Minutes later, he stood on the edge of the roof, finding the lazily falling snow almost peaceful. A few zombies staggered out of the alleyway across the street, ruining the feeling, slipping and staggering on the slippery surface. He couldn't help but chuckle to himself, imagining a slapstick silent movie type of jingle as the zombies struggled to stay on their feet. He glanced up at the sound of a truck rumbling up the street and raised his hand in a wave, as Susanna leaned over the roof of the cab and did the same. There were a few dozen zombies following behind them, 
staggering just as comically in the dusting of snow as the truck pulled to a stop underneath him. Guess we gotta make this quick since you have some fans following you, Miles called, holding up a duffel bag. Oh, them? Susanna waved her hand and scoffed. Nah, we're good. The truck is high enough that they can't get up here. And if any of them get a hold of me, I put them out quick. She raised her cattle stunner. Well, maybe this'll help clear them out quicker, he said with a grin and tossed the bag down to her. She caught it effortlessly and unzipped it, her face lighting up like a kid on Christmas morning. You, she stammered, looking up at him with shining eyes. You have fantastic taste. Nothing but the best for my girl, Miles declared. She chuckled. Normally I'd smack you down for calling me your girl, she began, pulling the gun from the bag. But I'm going to allow it this time. Semi-automatic, tactical shotgun with a five-round mag. Six-round mag, he corrected. They just got the new ones in, and I filled up ten of them for you. Buckshot, just like you asked for, all in the bag, ready to go. Susanna put a hand over her heart. Miles, you sure know how to treat a lady. Well, you didn't look like the diamond type, he replied with a wink. She grinned and her lips curled back from her teeth as the zombies caught up to the truck. She turned and stepped towards the back of the bed, took aim, and rattled off three devastating shots. The spread tore through the densely packed horde, dropping a dozen of them in seconds. Susanna looked up at her man with the widest smile he'd ever seen. Miles, I'm going to say something to you that no woman has said in all of human history, she said. I feel totally comfortable letting you do our wedding registry. Is that a proposal? He asked. She winked at him. I'll see you later, cowboy. She smacked the roof of the truck, and the driver sped off. Miles watched her disappear around the corner, attracting another group of zombies. Hey, lover boy, Duncan said from the roof hatch and slammed a heavy bag of gear onto the roof. Now that you're done making goo-goo eyes, you want to give us a hand? The love-struck cowboy blushed crimson and rushed to his companion. Yeah, sorry. Duncan just laughed. Chapter 10, 8.45 a.m. Emily took it slow on the city streets. Neither she nor her team were used to driving such big burly vehicles, and they couldn't afford any accidents. She took in the sight of the Main Avenue Bridge as she approached, happy with Mr. Wainwright's job of getting things prepped for them. The cars were lined up about 30 yards back, the sheet metal resting against the walls and divider, waiting to be put up. Mr. Wainwright waved her in, stepping back and directing her so that the snowplow just brushed up against the car that blocked the pedestrian walkway. Three men stood guard with scoped hunting rifles as the plows pulled into position, occasionally peppering a round or two into rogue zombies. The rest of the small army stood waiting to get the sheet metal bolted as soon as they were able. Emily hopped down from the cab and approached Mr. Wainwright as the last plow shut down. Looks like this crazy plan of yours just might pan out, he said by way of greeting. She crossed her arms. Let's not celebrate yet, she warned. Still a lot to get done. As Jay got out of his vehicle, blocking an entire side of the bridge, men ran up immediately to begin bolting the sheet metal to the small gaps, filling every hole. 
Man, that thing handles like an anvil in molasses, Jay declared as he approached the supervising duo. Big, heavy, and doesn't want to move where I want it to. Well, young men, we aren't even at 9 a.m. yet, so we got plenty of time to pull this off before nightfall, Mr. Wainwright pointed out. A sudden hail of gunfire echoed in the distance from the direction of the 194 bridge. Emily immediately pulled out her binoculars, running to the far wall overlooking the river. What do you see? Mr. Wainwright demanded as the gunfire picked up its intensity. Something's wrong, she replied. They're firing in both directions. There was a small huddle of men in the center of the bridge, firing wildly. Her radio erupted in echoes of the gunfire, and a panicked voice cried, They're coming at us from everywhere. We need help. Emily and Jay immediately darted for the plows, and he jumped into the one she'd parked. She climbed up to the third one that was waiting for position and threw open the door, startling Randall. Move over or get out, she snapped, and the cowboy immediately leapt over to the passenger seat. She slammed the door shut and popped it into gear, tearing down the road. She lowered the blade, shoving into a line of cars, paving the way for them with a loud screech. Once through, she floored it and picked up the CB radio. All right, Jay, you're gonna have to get outside your comfort zone and drive fast, she instructed. We gotta get down there. I'm on your tail, he replied. Let's do it. She led him down the bridge and reached the exit ramp to head south. She threw caution to the wind and skidded around the ramp, driving the plow as if she were in a well-tuned race car. She rolled down the window, the gunshots getting louder in the cold air, even over the sound of the engine. Holy hell, Randall blurted as they turned towards the bridge to reveal close to 50 corpses staggering towards the center. You take the left side, I'll take the right, Emily instructed into the radio. Raise the plow as high as it will go and cut them down. As she said it, she hit the lever to bring the large metal spade up a few feet off of the ground. Once in position, she honked the horn and kept her hand on it, the loud bleeding attracting the creature's attention before she punched the accelerator to the floor. The first wave on either side were cut in half by the impact, those behind them knocked to the ground and squashed by the giant wheels. In the rear view, a few flopped about, not dead, but at least they'd been severely disabled. Jay, I need you to stay on this side of the bridge, Emily said into the radio. Keep them occupied and take out what you can. I'll handle the other side. He honked twice to acknowledge her, and she drove to the center. There were at least a hundred zombies, several groups hovering around the recently killed, feasting on corpses like vultures on roadkill. She startled at the sound of more gunfire, this time so much closer, and spotted Ernest standing on the roof of a sedan. He popped off several rounds into the creatures surrounding the car, and then waved at Emily with a wild smile. She honked in response, drawing the attention of a good chunk of the group, and hit the gas. She hit the corpses, cutting a bunch of them clean in half, and flinging the rest through the air some right off of the side of the bridge. Ernest finished off the last few staggering around the car and then rested his precious gun on his shoulder as Emily pulled up beside him. You all right? She asked. He nodded and flicked open the repeater to reload it. Yes, ma'am, living the dream. You the only one left? 
Hillbilly took a round of the shoulder when one of those other boys got attacked, Ernest explained. He fired off a panic shot that caught him. I drug him over here and threw him in the back seat before I took to the roof and had my own personal Alamo. Well, we gotta clear this bridge, Emily replied. I can take out the ones on this side of the road. You mind following me and doing your trick shot act for the other side? He nodded with a little salute. With pleasure, ma'am. Randall, get your gun and go help Ernest, she instructed to her passenger. He's a hell of a shot, so just stick with him and you'll be fine. I won't leave his side, he assured her. Ernest hopped down from the roof of the car and tapped on the window with the barrel of his repeater. That pretty girl and I are gonna go clear off this bridge, he said. You just hang tight there, hillbilly, we got this. Glenn raised his middle finger in a special salute, and his tentative companion blinked in shock. Whoa, what was that for, he asked. The cowboy looked at his hand and then lowered the finger, changing it to a thumbs up. Whoops, sorry about that, my hand has Tourette's. Ernest barked a laugh. All right, hillbilly, we gonna get along just fine. Randall sidled up next to him as Emily accelerated down the right side of the road, swerving and hitting every batch of zombies in her path. There were 40 or so between her and the end of the bridge, moaning as they lost their lower halves and attempted to crawl along the pavement after her. The gun-toting duo began to whistle, drawing the attention of the zombies on the other side of the center median. The cement wall came up to chest height on the corpses, giving Ernest a lineup of whack-a-zombie. He fired from 10 feet, each bullet finding its place in the demented carnival game, bodies falling in a heap on the asphalt. Emily peered in her rear view from the other end of the bridge, watching the crimson snow become slush as Ernest and Randall slowly made their way towards her, picking off any still moaning undead. She picked up the CB radio. Jay, how you doing back there, she asked. I got them all pretty well smashed down, his voice came through. If there is a live one in there, the only way he's biting someone is if they stick their hand in his mouth. Okay, go ahead and come to my position, Emily instructed. Pick off any stragglers on your way. When you get here, park that thing in the middle of the road. I'm on it, he replied. She set down the CB and unclipped her walkie-talkie from her belt. Mr. Wainwright, do you copy? Wainwright here came the immediate reply. What's the situation? It's bad, she said. Everybody has gone, except for Glenn and Ernest. Son of a bitch, Mr. Wainwright cursed. Emily took a deep breath. I need you to get three of your men over here in cars. We're going to have to plug this bridge up as best we can until we can get back. Have Odell bring Alex with him so we can head back for another load of plows. I'll send them right over, but we're gonna be light on manpower, he warned. I'll reach out to Zach to see if he's found any survivors yet, Emily explained. He was supposed to use this bridge as the extraction point since he was going to be down south. Gonna have to get people out on yours. I'll let Eldon know what's going on and coordinate with the ferry crew to come here to pick up the civilians, Mr. Wainwright agreed. Sounds good, Emily out, she replied, and then flicked the channel knob. Zach, you there? Hey, Miss Walker, he replied after a beat. What can I do for you? Please tell me you've found some survivors, she asked, working hard to keep the desperation out of her voice. We're in dire need of warm bodies at the moment. 
As a matter of fact, we have, he drawled back. Found one of those apartment high-rise complexes that had 20 people holed up in it. We're loading them and their supplies into some trucks right now. Thank God, Emily said, letting out a deep sigh of relief. When you get loaded up, I need you to haul ass to the 194 and drop off any able-bodied people you have. There, there was an incident, and we lost pretty much everyone. There was a long pause, and then Zack finally came back. Understood. We should be on the move in about 20. Coordinate with your dad about transporting the survivors back to the ranch, she instructed. This bridge isn't going to be a viable exit. I'll take care of it, he promised. Be safe, Miss Walker. She clenched her jaw before answering. You too, Zack. She hopped down out of the vehicle as she clipped her radio to her belt, enjoying the quiet after all of the mayhem. Her moment of tranquility was cut short, however, at the sound of Ernest firing off another batch of bullets. She power walked towards Ernest and Randall, gun in hand, just as Jay approached in his plow. We're all clear, ma'am, Ernest declared. She nodded. How many shots you got left, she asked. He flicked open the chamber to reload from one of the two ammo bags he had attached to his belt. Not keeping a running tally, but I started the day with 200 in reserve, so should be good to go for a while. Good, I want you with me, Emily replied. Randall, I need you to coordinate things on this bridge. Not to challenge you, ma'am, but may I ask why? The cowboy asked. She cocked her head. Because I get the sense Ernest here hasn't had a whole lot of experience welding and bolting stuff to cars, and I'd be willing to bet that you have. The two men looked at each other and then nodded in agreement. And you know the people here. They're going to listen to you, Emily continued. They're not going to listen to him. Hell, would you listen to him? Hey, that's... Ernest paused and shrugged. That's a totally fair point. Odell pulled up with the reserve crew from the Main Avenue Bridge, stopping beside them with Alex in the back. Jay hopped the median and clambered up into the truck bed. Ernest, here's our ride, Emily said. Randall, we'll be back soon, be ready. He nodded. You can count on me. Ernest scrambled up into the back of the truck as Emily hopped into the passenger seat. All right, Odell, round two, she said. He nodded and put the vehicle into gear. Yes, ma'am. Chapter 11, 10.15 a.m. Alan, Don, you boys got anything? Chad asked as he scanned the horizon through his binoculars. The only thing he could see from the top of the Capitol building that looked even mildly threatening was a few dozen zombies milling about the courtyard below. Not much going on to the west, Alan replied. Although if you wanted to squeeze in a quick 18, you're probably going to be out of luck. He watched a pack of slow corpses trudge up the fairway. Don, what have you got? Chad asked. His companion didn't reply, simply gripping his binoculars with trembling hands. Don? Chad furrowed his brow. You with me, bud? He opened his mouth, but no sound came out. The others approached the frozen man carefully. What is it, men? Alan asked. The, the horde on the interstate, Don rasped. It turned around. Alan and Chad quickly brought up their binoculars, zooming in on the thousand-strong mob. 
Instead of wandering out of town, they'd done a 180 and were heading straight for the I-94 bridge. Holy fuck, Alan breathed. Chad clenched his fists around his device. Something must have caught their attention and spun them around. What's going on? Lowell asked, stepping up to the group. Alan swallowed hard. The horde turned around. What do we do? Lowell asked, unable to keep the tremble out of his voice. We're handling it, Chad snapped. You get back to your post of watching over Rex. His unavoidable companion growled. I've had just about enough of you talking down to me. I don't know who you think you are, but I'm the man in charge, Chad cut in, rearing on him. And if you had listened to me, we'd have two more people standing here with us. Lovell's fist connected with the Wainwright boy's jaw in a hard sucker punch, sending him tumbling to the ground in shock. I told you, he seethed. Don't you dare put those deaths on me. It was an accident, and accidents happen. Chad spit out a stream of blood, but before he could get back to his feet, there was a loud moan from behind them. Rex launched from his sitting position and dove for Lowell, who was struggling to draw his handgun, but he was too late. The corpse of his fallen friend slammed into him, teeth sinking into his shoulder. The force sent Lowell staggering, and before anyone could grab him, he flipped back over the edge of the roof. In a panic, he grasped onto Rex, but all he succeeded in doing was pulling both over the edge. His scream cut short with a sharp smack as they hit the ground below. The trio were frozen, eyes wide and mouths dry. Jesus fuck, man, what the hell just happened? Don finally asked, voice hoarse with shock. Alan cleared his throat. Lowell finally took responsibility. First time for everything, I guess. Chad shook his head and got back to his feet, wiping the blood from his lips with the back of his arm. He pulled his binoculars back up and resumed his study of the horde. Looks like they're about a mile from this exit, he reported, which means they're three miles away from the bridge. So that's what, an hour, hour and a half before they hit it? Don asked. Chad moved away from the edge and unclipped his walkie-talkie adjusting the channel knob to broadcast to all frequencies. All right, everybody, listen up, he said. We have a serious situation developing. The horde that Susanna lured to the I-94 has turned around and is now headed toward the bridge. We're just pulling numbers out of our asses, but we'd say they're gonna be getting close in the next hour, hour and a half. Those goddamn motherfuckers, Susanna cried back through the radio. Okay, we're gonna swing around the backside and see if we can get him going back in the right direction. Don pointed to the far end of the I-94, waving Chad forward. Hang on, Susanna, her brother said and took a look. A hundred or so zombies hadn't turned around, still wandering up the road. That's a no-go, he said into the radio again. Looks like a pretty large number of them didn't turn around, so you wouldn't be able to get through. Son of a bitch. She cursed. Okay, we're down here in the south of the city, clearing the way for Zack's next run. But if there's something we can do, you tell us. 10-4, Susanna, Chad replied. Emily, do you think you can get enough plows up there in time to fortify it before they get there? Negative, Emily came back. We just sent two out to finish up the 194, and Ken is telling me it's going to be an hour, maybe longer, before he's hoping to have four more in good enough shape to make it to the I-94. So even if everything went perfectly, we'd be getting there at the same time. 
This is Randall, the cowboy cut in after the beep. When we get our bridge secure, we'll send every available man up there. Maybe we can get enough firepower to hold them at bay. Can you divert those two up to the I-94? Chad asked. Not going to be perfect, but it could help hold the line. We really need to get this bridge secure, Randall replied. We're short on manpower, and half of what we do have is focused on the rear, since we have zombies still coming out of the woodwork. If we don't plug this hole now, this bridge might be overrun. Chad sighed. 10-4, Randall. Emily? Mr. Wainwright's voice cut in. When you get that batch ready, send them down to the main avenue bridge. It'll take a little longer to get up to the I-94, but if Eldon has to retreat, they can roll right up it and clean them out just like you did. This is Eldon, Mr. Eldon added. We're gonna use the cars as a barricade that will hopefully hold them at bay till you can get here. Just don't wait too long. Chad, it's Miles, Miles cut in. You have eyes on where we are? Chad readjusted his view, honing in on the gun store. Yeah, Miles, I got you. Is there anything in our general vicinity that's tall and overlooks the interstate? The young farmhand asked. Chad focused on a three-story apartment complex on a hill just north of the gun store. It stood on a hill overlooking the interstate. As a matter of fact, he replied, there is. Looks like an apartment building from here, about three, maybe four blocks north, and a couple blocks east of your position. Is it close to an exit? Miles asked. Chad nodded, right on the corner of one. All right, we got this, y'all, the young farmhand said firmly. We're gonna give them something to focus on and buy some time for the plows to get up there. Miles, just hang tight, I'll come get you, Susanna came in. We don't have time for that, he replied. By the time you got up here and got us to the apartment building, they'd be past us. But Susanna, go to channel six, Miles instructed. We'll talk in just a minute. There was a pause before she came back. Okay. Emily, we're leaving a rope ladder on the side of the building, Miles continued. Before the end of the day, you need to have someone from your team swing by here and pick up the stuff on the roof. It's a lot of gear we don't need today, but we're gonna need it in the coming weeks. I'll take care of it, she replied. Be safe. All right, everybody. I'm gonna be radio silent for a bit, Miles declared. Don't want one of y'all saying hello when we're trying to sneak past zombies. When we're in position, I'll be in touch. Miles out. Chad clipped his radio to his belt and looked through the binoculars at the slow horde of death once again. He looked at the apartment building, gauging that it wasn't really that far of a distance between the two. He took a deep breath and muttered to himself, don't know what you have in mind, Miles, but better hurry it up. Chapter 12, 10.23 a.m. Miles, you there? Susanna's voice came through his radio as he climbed down from the roof back into the gun store. Colby and Duncan scrambled around the store, loading up weapons and ammo. Yeah, I'm here, Miles replied and set the radio down on the front counter as he took down a loaded AR-15 from the wall. He checked the scope and pulled out the mags, loading them up. Please just wait on me to come pick you up, she pleaded. The streets aren't safe. He took a deep breath. He'd never heard her sound so desperate. He picked up the radio. Susanna, we're gonna be okay, he assured her. Now you remember that pretty shotgun I gave you? Yeah, she replied. 
Well, it was part of a his and hers package, so I have one just like it, he said, and turned back to the wall. He pulled down the bright pink shotgun, shaking his head and smiling at it. Well, mostly like it, he said to himself. I just worry about you, she admitted. I know, he replied into the radio. But what I need you to do right now is focus on helping Zach rescue people. You're helping to save lives, just like we're about to. You'd better call me when you get to the apartment, she said, voice firm. You have my word, he replied. Talk soon. I, she paused. I love you, Miles. A huge grin erupted on his face. He knew how hard it was for her to share her feelings like that. He'd spent a lot of time hoping that he would get to see the more emotional side of her through that tough farm girl exterior. I love you too, Susanna, he replied. Oh, lover boy, Duncan whistled from the back of the store. Don't tell me your heart's taken, lover boy. Miles rolled his eyes as he continued filling the mags for the AR-15. Just when I thought this day couldn't get any longer. Hey, Miles, Colby asked. He sighed. Not you too. Oh no, there's plenty of time to mock you later, Colby replied as he strode to the front counter. I was wondering if that was a display or if they actually have the stuff for it. He pointed to a few mannequins in military fatigues, posing with a pair of 50 caliber sniper rifles. Duncan joined them and the trio stared up at the display in awe. That? Miles cleared his throat. That is an excellent question. Look around for 50 cal ammo. They poured through boxes of ammo, and finally Duncan made a noise of victory. Oh yeah, boys, we're in business. He slammed a full case of ammo onto the counter. All right, let's get packed up, Miles said. We don't have a lot of time. Within a few minutes, the trio stood at the back door, loaded up with guns and gear. Miles squared his shoulders, but couldn't help the smile of amusement on his face. They looked like they were off to raid a Central American compound in an 80s action movie. He and Duncan grunted as they moved the heavy display back from the door enough for them to slip out. As soon as they were out in the alley, Miles aimed with his fabulous shotgun, sweeping the alley quickly. Duncan followed with a heavy bag on his back and an assault rifle. Colby bringing up the rear with a lighter rifle to cover his back. They moved quickly and silently down the alley to the road, Miles peering around the corner of the building. The snow was coming down hard, and he furrowed his brow. It had covered any zombie tracks, which wasn't a very good judge of whether they'd be running into trouble or not. Let's move, he said quietly. Shoot only if you have to. As soon as one shot goes off, we're going to be a target. His companions nodded and followed him into the street. They moved somewhere between a light jog and a mall walker, trucking through fresh powder. Unfortunately, so loaded up with guns, they weren't as soundless as they could have been, prompting a few moans from a nearby house. Miles raised his gun in their direction, but the zombies that emerged were very slow moving, stumbling down the front stairs. He waved for his team to follow, figuring they could just outrun them, worth the risk more than making too much noise. As they reached the end of the first block, Miles looked to the east to see a half dozen zombies staggering in their direction. To the west, there were about 30 corpses tramping through the snow. 
but they were on the far side and slow. We gotta go two blocks east eventually, Miles whispered. You wanna move over now? Duncan shook his head. Let's keep moving north until we're forced to move east, he suggested. Agreed, Colby nodded. Miles motioned north and hustled forward, leading them across the intersection. He glanced back when they reached the next one, the enemy mob just rounding the corners to shuffle after them. There were more rotting undead hanging out at the following intersection, the moans and grunts growing louder as the mob grew. As the group passed the third intersection, the moans had become a dull roar, and Miles knew that it would be attracting a lot more attention now. At the fourth intersection, a dozen creatures came around the corner from the east. They had to go that way now, so Miles wasted no time rushing forward and opening fire on the lead line. With four quick shots, the bulk of the group was laid to waste, Colby and Duncan popping off a few bullets to headshot the rest. Two more blocks, let's go, Miles said glancing over his shoulder at their followers, now numbering easily in the hundreds. The three tired men trudged through the snow, breathing heavy from lugging their equipment at a faster pace than they would have liked. As they cleared the next intersection, the apartment building loomed ahead. That's it on the left, Miles said. Almost there, boys. He took off at a run, and they sprinted the last block and ran up the driveway. There were several buildings and a large parking lot in the center, and Miles led them to the building at the far end that overlooked the interstate. A few zombies came out of the breezeway, but a single blast from the pink tactical shotgun took them down easily. The stairs were on the back side of the building, and Miles led the way up, calves screaming after the sprint. When they got to the third floor, he did a quick sweep of the hallway. We're clear, he declared. Duncan, watch the stairs while I get us into the apartment. He nodded and stood guard at the stairwell, waiting on any rogue zombies to head up. Miles reached into his bag and pulled out a new magazine, loading it into the gun. Blow through a mag already? Colby asked, incredulous. Nope, but I did plan ahead, came the reply with the sharp click of the gun closing up. That buckshot may be great for taking down zombies, but I figured we might need some slugs if we wanted to get into an apartment. Colby stood back as his companion took aim at the door. With two successive shots, he destroyed the knob and deadbolt, leaving the door to swing open. They rushed inside, weapons raised, moving from room to room to make sure it was empty. We're clear, Colby called, and Duncan ran in to join them. He dropped his bag and the other two wedged a sofa out and shoved it down the stairwell to block the way. It's not perfect, Miles admitted, but it should make it more difficult for them to get up here. He slammed the door behind them as Duncan rummaged through the kitchen drawers, finding a hammer and nails. Colby took it and set to hammering the door to the frame. I don't know how well this is going to hold, he said. Wish we had a way to take them out as they came up. Miles motioned for him to step out of the way, and then fired once into the center of the door. Colby admired the baseball-sized hole left behind. Yeah, that should do it. Miles, you need to see this, Duncan called from the balcony. The younger man joined him and looked out at the interstate. About a hundred yards away, the large horde slogged through the snow, 
turning it to slush as they staggered towards the exit. You ready to try out the 50 cal? Miles asked. Duncan grinned. Thought you'd never ask. They bustled inside to retrieve the heavy-duty weapons and ammo from the bags, heading back to the patio. There was a wooden table there, and they swept off the empty glasses and ashtray to drag it over to the railing to use as a platform. They each placed their weapons on it and took aim. Duncan fired first, reducing a zombie's head to a fine red mist. The bullet continued into the throng, dropping about a dozen of them, though not all of them permanently. However, it slowed down the stumbling horde as they tripped over fallen bodies. Miles squeezed off a round with similar results. They continued to fire, the thunderous blast of each shot echoing throughout the cold air. It's working, Miles exclaimed as he ducked inside to grab more ammo. We're pulling them off the interstate. Colby stopped hammering and looked through the makeshift peephole, seeing no zombies, but the edge of the couch in his field of view was shifting. I got this door pretty secure, he said, although I'm gonna keep an eye on it just to be sure. Any of them making it up? Miles asked. Colby shook his head. Not yet, but they're trying. All right, let me drop off the ammo and I'll find some reinforcements for the door, came the reply, and he headed back outside to drop the handful of magazines off to Duncan. He saw the bulk of the zombies were coming down the off-ramp and towards them, but a few continued on their movement to the bridge. Hey, one or two stragglers getting by is fine, Miles said, but if you start seeing a lot, take them out. You don't want to keep having fun? Duncan asked. Miles pointed back over his shoulder. Gonna go help Colby keep watch so we don't get eaten. That sounds like a good use of time, the shooter agreed. I'll be back shortly, Miles said, before ducking back inside. Duncan fired off another round, shrugging to himself. Gotta have my fun now, cause getting out of here is gonna be a bitch and a half. Chapter 13, 1.30 p.m. Was worried there for a while, Mr. Eldon said, as Emily hopped out of the final snowplow at the I-94. But Miles did a hell of a job distracting that mob. My shooter said they only had a small handful of them come into view. Jay leaned on Odell's truck. Now we just have to figure out how to get them out. Not just them, Ernest cut in, slinging his gun over his shoulder but those boys in the Capitol, too. One step at a time, fellas. Emily put her hands up. We still have to get two more of those plows running so we can finish blocking off the main avenue bridge. Mr. Eldon nodded. Speaking of which, why don't y'all head out? I'm sure Wainwright is throwing a fit. He got bumped from first to last. Emily rolled her eyes. If he is, I'll be sure to let you know, Mr. Eldon. She nodded to her crew, who hopped up into the bed of the truck. Once they were seated and secure, Odell took off down the bridge, taking the back route to the main avenue bridge. As they approached, there were a line of cars on the freeway and a dozen or so people firing in the direction of the 194 bridge. Odell, pull up there, Emily instructed from the passenger seat. Let's see what's going on. He nodded and pulled up along the firing line. She peered over the hood of one of the cars her eyes widening at the spread of at least a hundred zombies on the other side. Hey there, Miss Walker, Randall greeted, approaching her open window. 
Randall, what's the situation? She asked. Oh, we got things under control, he assured her. Those other plows you sent fit perfectly, and we got the holes plugged. When we started coming back up this way, those zombies decided to keep following us. Emily furrowed her brow. Any idea where they are coming from? Apparently there is a high-end residential area on our side of the bridge, Randall explained. Looks like a lot of folks rushed out of the city and took refuge there, and it didn't go so well. You good on ammo? She asked. Need anything? Ma'am, we're good to go, he replied with a smile. They've been thinning out pretty good the last half hour or so. She reached through the window and patted his shoulder. Good work. Thank you, ma'am, Randall replied, and tipped his cap as the truck pulled away. As they arrived to their destination, the crew was at work fortifying the plows and cars. Three sedans lined up at the end to act as a stopgap for the coming snowplows. Odell parked right next to the man in charge, and Emily thanked him before hopping out of the cab, her crew following from the back. Mr. Wainwright, she greeted. Emily, you get Eldon squared away, he asked. She nodded. Yeah, his bridge is just about secure. His men are putting the final touches on it. Good, that ought to shut him up. He wrinkled his nose. She shook her head. One of these days, you'll have to tell me what this feud is all about. Plenty of time this winter, Mr. Wainwright replied. So what's the situation here, she asked. He motioned to the lineup of vehicles. As soon as we get those plows here, it should only take us an hour or so to fill in the gaps. Ken said he should have them up and running within the hour, Emily said. That should have us locking this thing down by 3.30 or so. Talk to Zach on his last drop-off, Mr. Wainwright replied. Said he had one more batch of people to extract, and that's all he has. Susanna is helping him with this run so they can get wrapped up. Emily nodded. That just leaves Chad and Miles. Talked to Chad a few minutes ago, he said. He said they were trapped on the roof, so if they're getting out, somebody is gonna have to go get them. Ernest cocked his repeater loudly, drawing everyone's attention to him. Well, let's go get them then. Look at that, Glenn drawled as he walked up behind them. City boy, wanting to play the hero. His arm was in a sling from the bullet wound in his shoulder, but he wore a smirk. Well, I figured I already saved your ass today, Ernest replied with a grin. Shouldn't be a problem to repeat the process. The wounded cowboy turned to a nearby farm worker. Hey, do me a favor. My gun and stuff is in the car over there. Go fetch it for me, will you? You got one arm, hillbilly, Ernest said as the worker scurried off. What do you think you can do with that? Glenn threw his good arm around the city boy's neck, pulling him into a playful headlock. I can whoop your ass, that's for damn sure, he joked, and then let go as his opponent laughed. I can also drive one of those snow plows. Pretty sure we got that covered, Ernest replied. Ken and Barry are driving the last ones here when they're ready. Then I'm gonna need Ken to fix me up one more, the stubborn cowboy replied. I saw the number it did to those things down on the bridge. Should be good enough to get Miles out of his little jam. Not the first time I've had to pull his chestnuts out of the fire. Sounds like a great plan, Ernest raised an eyebrow. Except for the part where he's on the top floor. But you're forgetting one thing, city boy, Glenn replied. I'm the one who trained him, 
and I don't train no dummies. The city dweller shrugged. I, yeah, I got nothing. Glenn motioned to Mr. Wainwright, who handed over his walkie-talkie. Miles, it's Glenn, come back. The channel opened up, gunshots in the background. What's up, Glenn? Tell me you were smart enough to plan a way down from the third floor. The older cowboy demanded. You mean like bringing a rope ladder with us? Miles asked. Yeah, I was. So now, instead of leaping to our death, we can die tired after a three-floor climb. You just sit tight. I'll be there soon to get you, Glenn replied. There was a long batch of gunfire before Miles said, Don't be too long. We don't have unlimited ammo. Ten four, the older cowboy said, and then tossed the radio back to Mr. Wainwright. He shot a smug grin at Ernest, who put his hands up in defeat. All right, you handle him, and we'll go get Chad, Emily instructed. Hop in the back and we'll give you a lift. The men clambered up into the bed, and Glenn took the center seat, giving Ernest a playful expression that he'd gotten the best seat first. Ernest chuckled and sat next to him. Emily, Mr. Wainwright said as she got into the passenger's side. If y'all aren't back by the time the plows are here, what do you want us to do? Go ahead and secure things, she replied. I'm going to send Barry by the gun store to pick up supplies they left on the roof for us. Hopefully there's a rope ladder in there. Just drape it over the plow so we have a way over. And if you want to leave us a truck, that would be great too. He nodded. I'll take care of it. He swallowed hard as he shut the door gently, gripping the window frame. Be safe and bring my boy back. She nodded solemnly and waved for Odell to drive. Chapter 14, 2.15 p.m. Odell pulled up the driveway of the Capitol building in full view of the courtyard. There were about a hundred zombies milling about, and they slowly turned in the snow to trudge towards the vehicle. He came to a full stop and immediately punched the horn. Whoa, Emily cried, gaping at him. What are you doing? Y'all need in the building, right? He asked with a shrug. She furrowed her brow. Yeah? Can't get in the building unless we get the zombies away from it, now can we? Odell replied and gave her a wink. She shook her head and smiled, a slight blush creeping up her cheeks at not having a thought of that. They idled as the zombies approached, staggering with a slow gait, stiff from the cold. When they were about 10 feet away, Odell popped the truck into gear and took off down the driveway. He drove with grace, moving the truck from side to side along the snow-covered road, smacking zombies with the bumper to send corpses flying off in every direction. Emily held on to the window handle, eyes alight with adrenaline as he wove his way to the stairs, skidding right up to the front step. I'm gonna circle the block, Odell said as she got out, the crew in the back hopping down from the bed. You call me when you need a lift. Thank you. She replied sincerely and shut the door. He sped off as soon as she was clear, the remainder of the horde shambling after him. Emily led the trio of men up the stairs, weapons raised and ready as they approached the door of the Capitol building. A zombie staggered out of it as if it had fallen against the handle, and Ernest immediately popped a bullet directly into its forehead. Jay got to the door first and held it open for the group. They entered, Ernest on point 
setting up a shooting stance to the left to cover everyone as they bustled inside. Fire doors all the way down, Emily instructed, filing behind him as he moved down the dimly lit hallway. They moved quickly, but as silently as they could. About 20 yards from the door, a zombie darted around the corner, screaming at them. Ernest silenced it quickly with a bullet to the eye socket. But more screams echoed down the hallway, and Emily shoved him forward. Let's move, she cried, heart pounding in her ears. Ernest stopped at the fire door and aimed down the side hallway as she flung the door open, as he began to fire round after round at the ensuing group of corpses. They dropped one by one, and then he turned to another dozen creatures, tearing towards them from the hallway they'd come from. He fired as the group hurried into the stairwell, taking out the front row with headshots. The ones behind stumbled to the tile floor, and he aimed to take them out. But Jay grabbed him by the back of the collar and jerked him into the stairwell. What the fuck, man? Ernest demanded as Alex slammed the door behind him. Jay growled. What in the hell are you doing, he demanded. I know you're a hotshot and all, but you don't have to kill every zombie you see. You are absolutely right, Ernest seethed. I don't have to kill every zombie I see, but I figured that since we're eventually going to have to leave this building, it might be a good idea to kill the zombies that will be in our path. Jay raised a finger, leaning forward to get in his opponent's face, but took pause. He balled his fist and then took a step back, defeated. Yeah, that's my bad there. No hard feelings, Ernest replied with a shrug. Just means you get to kill them on the way out. He patted Jay on the back and then reloaded his gun as Emily raised her radio to her lips. Chad, we're in, she said. Gonna take us a bit to climb up, so you have some time to think of a brilliant plan to get your boys to safety. Heard that, ma'am, Chad replied. We'll all put our thinking caps on. Chapter 15, 2.30 p.m. The entirety of the interstate mob had wandered off of the road, surrounding the three-story apartment building. Colby was pressed up against the back of the door to give extra weight against the zombies pounding on it from the other side. How's the door? Miles called as he and Duncan secured the emergency rope ladder to the balcony railing. I can feel it starting to bow a little bit, Colby admitted. Feels like there's a good crowd growing out there. Miles grabbed his shotgun and strode over, resting it in the peephole he'd made. May want to cover your ears. His companion nodded and mashed his hands over his ears as he unloaded a few rounds. When the chamber gave its dull click, he peered through to see half a dozen zombies writhing on the floor, starting to pick themselves up. Damn, looks like I caught them in the chest, he said. At least I took a couple pounds out of each of them, so that should help, right? Colby grunted. We'll find out. Miles, come back, Glenn's voice demanded through the radio. The young farmhand unclipped the walkie-talkie from his belt and put it to his lips, keeping an eye on the zombies through the hole in the door. About time you got here, he said good-naturedly. All right, where are you boys at? Glenn asked. Miles walked back to the balcony to inspect the rope ladder. When you come in the driveway, we're the back building, top apartment on the back right corner. We're surrounded by zombies, you can't miss us. 10-4, came the reply. Hang tight. Duncan, how's that ladder doing? Miles asked as he clipped the radio back to his belt. 
His comrade shrugged, straightening up from his handiwork. About as secure as it's gonna get. All right, keep your eye out for Glenn and wave him in, the young farmhand instructed, and headed back to the door where Colby was really starting to sweat under the strain. Miles peered out the peephole, but it was blocked by a zombie chest. He knocked on the left side of the door to draw the corpse far enough over that he could look through the shotgun blast in its chest. Damn, looks like another one just climbed over the couch, he muttered. Good thing we don't have to hold out much longer. Miles, come back, Glenn said. He took up his radio. Where you at? He was starting to get antsy. With every corpse that climbed up that stairwell, they were one step closer to getting their faces eaten off. Well, I got some bad news, came the reply. There ain't no way I'm gonna be able to drive this thing back to where you boys are. The only path around looks steep as hell. If I try and drive this big bitch down that, I'll end up rolling it. Any chance y'all can get to the front apartment? Miles closed his eyes for a moment and then took a deep breath. Are you absolutely positive you can get to that other apartment balcony? Yeah, it ain't no big deal to pop it up on the sidewalk there, Glenn replied. Same side of the building, just need you to move to the front. Can you do it? Yeah, hang tight, we're gonna need a minute, the young farmhand said. I ain't going nowhere, came the reply. Undo the ladder, Miles called, as he secured the walkie-talkie back to his belt. We gotta change apartments. Duncan threw his hands up. You shitting me? Wish I was. His companion shook his head solemnly. Glenn can't get the plow around back. Well, we know where we're going, Colby grunted. But how the fuck we getting there? Zombies are outside and the door's nailed shut. Miles swallowed hard as Duncan began taking the ladder off of the railing. Colby, let me ask you something. He turned back to his sweating friend. In all your years, have you ever heard of someone firing a 50 cal sniper rifle indoors? Hell no, Colby cried. That would be crazy. Those rounds are so powerful that they'd rip through right into your neighbor's house. His eyes widened. Which is exactly what we want to do here, because we want to destroy everything in sight. He leapt to his feet, suddenly invigorated. I'll get the gun. Miles dug through his ammo bag and pulled out a box of slugs to reload the shotgun with buckshot. Duncan ducked inside from the balcony, the ladder under his arm, and picked up the supply bag with the other. Colby stomped in with a 50 cal strapped to his back and the other one in his hand. All right, let's do this, he declared. Easy, tiger, Miles replied. Okay, you get one shot, so make it count. Put it right through the eye hole. That round should eviscerate everything it touches. When you fire, I'm stepping up and taking out the door hinges so we can get out. I'm first out the door and going to shoot open the other one. Duncan, you're first in to clear the apartment. Once we're clear, you get the ladder hooked up. What about the door? Duncan asked. Miles straightened his shoulders. I'm gonna stand guard and take out anything that gets past the couch. We ready? The two men nodded, Colby with a shit-eating grin on his face. He stepped forward and took careful aim, holding the weapon tightly. When he got the target he wanted, he squeezed the trigger, eliciting a thunderous blast. The round crashed through the door, obliterating the first few zombies, leaving nothing but a jagged wound from the shoulders up. 
Body parts flew back into the other zombies, throwing them violently into the wall. As soon as he lowered the gun, Miles fired three quick shots into the hinges of the door and then kicked it out in a spray of wood splinters. He leapt out into the hallway, nearly slipping in the pool of blood growing across the landing. He regained his footing and rushed over to the other door, firing quickly into the lock. We're in, go, he yelled, and Duncan flew by him, crashing through the door into the small apartment. He dropped the ladder on the floor and raised his weapon, sweeping the space quickly and finding no movement. We're clear, he cried, and Colby bustled inside as Miles swapped out his slugs for buckshot. That was fucking awesome, Colby cried, a huge smile on his face. Damn right it was, Miles replied with a laugh. Now go help Duncan so we can get out of here. The 50 cal toting cowboy nodded as his companion readied his bright pink shotgun. A few of the zombies that survived the sniper round had risen, staggering brokenly, leaving a trail of coagulated goo behind them. The bones of their fallen friends stuck out like crimson porcupine quills. He waited until they were about 10 feet away and then fired a round of buckshot. A bevy of pellets pierced their skulls, and they fell in a jagged, spiky heap. Miles walked quickly to the railing overlooking the stairs, spotting zombies shoulder to shoulder all the way down to the ground. He whistled loudly, and they looked up to him, extending their arms and letting out those ear-piercing squeals that were native to the undead. He continued to whistle, turning it into a jaunty tune to keep their attention on him instead of climbing over the couch. Colby finally came back out into the hallway. Hey, Duncan's in the truck and I'm about to go down, he called. Give me two minutes and you'll be good to go. Good deal, Miles replied. I'm gonna whistle them another tune and I'll be down to join you. He turned back to the horde and sneered. So what do y'all wanna hear next? Some Johnny Cash, some Elvis? I'm open to requests. He paused, letting them groan and growl. Sorry, I don't know that one, he shrugged. Well, ladies and gents, it's been fun, but my time is up. Until we meet again. He gave a bow and a flourish, and then hurried into the apartment. He slammed the door and moved the couch over behind it, shoving it tight. Better safe than sorry, he muttered to himself. Miles jogged to the balcony, and his heart leapt at the sight of his friends, safely on top of the plow below. He hooked over the railing and climbed down the rope ladder, landing on his feet and taking a knee on the back part with his companions. He pulled out his radio. We're all situated up here, he said. Take us home, big fella. Glenn honked the horn a few times in response before putting the truck into gear and gently driving it off of the sidewalk. The three men held on and watched the thousand-strong zombie mob stumble after them. Miles smacked Duncan and Colby on the shoulders, a laugh escaping him. He was unable to put into words that feeling of disbelief that they'd survived the ordeal at all, and his companions seemed to feel the same way, barking laughs of their own. Chapter 16, 2.55 p.m. That does not sound like fun in there. Jay mused as he put his ear to the door of the 21st floor. Emily hissed and pulled her radio from her belt. Chad, come in, she said. Good to hear you, Miss Walker, he replied politely. 
We're outside the 21st floor, and they sound pretty active in there, she said. So you boys have any ideas on how to get you out? Parachutes, Chad replied. Zip lines? We really have no clue, ma'am. Ernest tapped her on the shoulder. Emily, see if he can distract them. What good is that gonna do? Alex asked. Well, if he can pull them off this door, I can pop in and take a few of them out, he shrugged. Emily nodded. Good a plan as any, I suppose, she said, and gave his forearm a gentle squeeze. She returned to her radio. Chad, we might have an idea. Need you to bang on the door as loudly as you can. Don't know how much that's gonna do, but we'll give it a shot, came the reply through the radio. There were a few quiet moments, and then he said, here we go. Ernest kept his ear against the door, hearing the zombie noises grow a bit fainter as they moved away. He stepped back and nodded to Jay, who opened it as quietly as possible. Ernest stepped into the doorway and took aim at the zombies clustering around the center door that rattled with Chad's kicking and smacking from the other side. He hit two zombies, but a dozen came running for him. He fired as quickly as he could, striking a few of them in the head as they ran. He had enough time to hit two more, but then they were too close for comfort and he slammed the door shut. Jay quickly put his full weight against the door to make sure it was securely shut. I'd say that went well, Ernest said. Jay cocked his head. How many you get? Five, maybe six, came the reply. Couldn't tell on one of them. All right, let's give it a minute and see if we can do that again, Emily said, satisfied with the results. She lifted the radio again. Chad, we dropped six of them. Wait a minute and then start banging on the door again. Will do, he replied. A few minutes passed, but the growling and scratching didn't subside on their end. Well, fuck, Ernest said. Jay bumped him with his shoulder. Don't sweat it, man. It was a good idea. Chad, these zombies aren't moving, Emily said into the radio. We're gonna need to think of something else. Ten four, he replied. The woman pursed her lips and crossed her arms. Ideas? She stared around at the group, who all stared at each other and shrugged their shoulders. Is there an elevator? Alex asked, breaking the silence. Jay shook his head. Even if there is, I don't want to get into it, he admitted. Ernest is a hell of a shot, but I have my doubts about him being able to clear the room before they get to us. Alex, that's not a bad idea, Ernest cut in. Jay wrinkled his nose. Apparently you have more faith in your ability than I do. No question there, his companion replied. But I have something else in mind. This is an office building, right? That means there have to be some tables in here somewhere we can use. Table in the elevator, Jay said, eyes widening as he caught on. Use it like a barricade. I can shoot over it while you two stout cowboys hold it in place, Ernest said. I think we can clear them out. Chad, we have a plan for the elevator, Emily said into the radio. Going to take us a few minutes to get it set up, though. Well, we aren't going anywhere, Chad admitted. Oh, and be sure to use the 18th floor. Alan and Dawn used it earlier, and it was clear. Still might want to do a sweep, though. We're on it, she replied. Contact you before we head up. She clipped the radio back to her belt and drew her handgun. All right, let's do it. She led the way down to the 18th floor, determination in her gait, and counted down before flinging the door open for Ernest to leap through first. 
There was no answering shrieks or moans, and the group banged on the walls and yelled to get the attention of any would-be enemies. Looks like we're clear, Emily said when there was no response. They split into two groups to look for a suitable table. Those look like a bitch to move, Jay said, kicking against a large desk. Ernest shook his head. I doubt they'd provide enough cover anyway. Hey, boys, Emily called from another room. I think I found what you're looking for. They joined her in front of a cubicle farm, and Jay asked, you find a table for us? Nope, she said, something better. She smacked the side of the cubicle wall, which was about four feet tall. Ernest cracked a smile. Ironic that the bane of my existence for the better part of a decade is now going to be the thing that saves us all. Well, let's get one and get it in the elevator, Jay said, and he and Alex disassembled a panel. Ernest hit the button for the elevator and stepped back. Y'all may want to do the same. They all took a step back, and Emily raised her weapon as well. The elevator gave a ding, and the doors opened, revealing nothing but a desk radio playing New Age music. Ernest grimaced and fired a shot, obliterating the noise. Thank you, Alex said with a relieved sigh. The gunman grinned. Anytime. He and Emily got into the elevator before Alex and Jay wedged the makeshift barricade into position. They leaned it back so that Ernest could reach over and hit the button for the 21st floor. As the doors shut, the two burly cowboys pressed their entire weight against each side of the cubicle wall, and Emily took a knee against the middle and put her back against it. This is gonna be loud as hell, Alex said. Jay barked a laugh. Eh, it's just a little tinnitus, ain't gonna kill ya. The elevator gave its happy ding, and the group braced for action. As soon as the doors opened, Ernest stepped forward, lining the end of the barrel up on the top edge of the wall. He easily took down the closest zombie, but the crack alerted every other corpse in the room, and they shrieked, running for him. He lined up the next shot and fired before going into rapid-fire mode and unloading round after round. He was able to take out half a dozen before the rush made it to the elevator. Here they come, he cried, and the group braced for impact. Four zombies crashed into the cubicle wall, jerking the barrier against the three holding it. Ernest took a step back with their strain, but continued to fire point blank rapidly, clearing the entire row. As they crumpled, a fresh row of corpses took their place, and he repeated his sweep. Emily watched his face, so calm as he put bullets between the eyes of every business suit-clad ghoul. The onslaught lasted for a solid minute, blood and brain splattering all over the elevator and its inhabitants. Finally, he stopped, and the silence was almost deafening, unmarred by a single moan. Ernest stayed vigilant, waiting for another zombie to pop up, but none did. He peeked over the barricade at the mass of bodies three high and four across. The others slowly moved from their bracing positions and peeked over as well, four blood-spattered faces wide-eyed in the dim light. So, Ernest broke the silence. Back to 18 and hike up? Alex nodded. Yeah, that's a good call. Jay leaned the table back so Ernest could reach the button and the burly cowboy clapped the city boy on the back. Hell of a job, man, he commended, and they shared a smile.
Chapter 17 3.30 p.m. Chad stayed by the inside of the roof access door all through the gunfight, heart in his throat the entire time. When there was a loud knock at the door, he cracked it open and then flung it the rest of the way at the sight of a blood-splattered Emily standing there. Howdy, Miss Walker, he greeted. She smiled. Chad, good to see you. Alan and Dawn pushed him out of the way and barreled past, rubbing their hands and dancing from foot to foot as they entered the building. Pardon us, ma'am, Alan said. Dawn shivered. It's cold as a mother up there. You'll have to excuse them, Chad said with a smile. They're not the biggest fans of the cold. Hard to blame them, Emily replied and waved him in. Come on in, let's get you warm too. He nodded and joined the group. So now that the hard part is down, how are we getting out of the city? He asked. She smiled and unclipped her radio. Odell, you copy? She asked. Yes, ma'am, came the reply. Y'all ready to hitch a ride? Soon, she said. We still have to walk down the stairs, but wanted to put you on standby. Well, I found me a nice cozy hiding spot. So you just let me know and I'll be up there, he replied. Emily nodded. Thanks, Odell. Alan, Don, you boys ready to get out of here? Chad asked, drawing his gun. Alan nodded, blowing into his hands. As long as there's heat where we're going, yeah, let's do it. I'm sure we can scare some of that up back at the ranch, Emily assured him, as she clipped the radio back to her belt. Let's head out. She led them to the stairwell and down to the bottom floor door. She paused, pulling the radio again. Odell, we're in position. We're gonna have to time this right so we don't get overrun. I will be at the front door in exactly four minutes, came the reply. She nodded. We'll be there. She clipped her radio back as Ernest finished reloading his famous gun. All right, here's the plan, she continued. Ernest, I want you out first. You go straight for the door and take out anything in front of you. When you get outside, I want you to shoot anything that's within 30 yards of the pickup spot. Consider them shot, he replied. Alan, Don, you two cover the side hallways until we get through, she said. Chad, you cover our rear. Any questions? There was a shuffle of shaking heads. Ernest, lead us out, she instructed. He flung open the door, aiming quickly and heading towards the front of the building. There was a lone zombie about 10 feet away, and he dropped it easily with a bullet in the forehead. The noise sparked a chorus of moans and growls, and the group took off at a run towards the front door. He took out the head of one of three zombies tearing at them from the front door. Emily and Jay opened fire on either side of him. Get outside, Ernest, we got this, she said, and he rushed out on the snow-covered steps. He stood at the top, looking down at the pickup point, a few slow-moving zombies staggering up towards him. He took careful aim and picked them off one by one, making the cracks short instead of one long attention-drawing noise. The shooting continued behind him, however, as he scanned the area. There were a few dozen creatures within view in the courtyard, but none that were close enough to pose a threat. A few seconds later, he heard an engine and honking from just behind the tree line. A ride is here, he bellowed, and Emily's muffled voice called to the others inside. Odell skidded to a stop at the bottom of the stairs, and the group poured out of the building to the escape vehicle. 
Ernest stood guard by the tailgate, firing at a few zombies that stumbled too close. He clambered up last, and Jay smacked the roof to signal Odell to drive out. It was crowded in the back, but nobody seemed to mind, huddling close together for warmth. Chad watched the snow fall lazy on the Capitol grounds, almost peaceful after a long day of so much violence. When Odell pulled up to the Main Avenue Bridge, he jumped down from the driver's seat and came face to face with the crew for the first time that day. He started to pocket his keys and then instead tossed them on the dashboard. You don't want your truck anymore? Jay asked. Odell shrugged as he stretched his legs. Never know when we're gonna need a ride in town, he said. Fair enough, Jay nodded. Ernest and Emily stood guard in the middle of the street as the survivors climbed over the snowplow one by one. He inclined his head to her. Are we the last ones out? He asked. Yeah, she replied. Glenn and Miles left on the I-94. Once we're over, we've cleared the city, at least with our people. I gotta admit, Emily, you had a hell of a plan, he said. Those things aren't going to be able to go west, and God only knows how many people Zach pulled out. A lot of people are going to stay alive because of you. She stiffened. A lot of people are dead because of me, too. Look at it like this, he insisted. If you hadn't done what you did, they would be dead in a matter of weeks anyway. She made a small noise of acceptance. Still, it's gonna keep me up some nights. I've heard bourbon helps, Ernest said, offering a small smile. She winked at him. I'm more of a whiskey girl, but I appreciate the sentiment. She walked off to the ladder, and he stood guard until she was up and over. He climbed up after her and glanced once more at the city, the shadows cast by the lowering sun, concealing the horrors of the day. Chapter 18, 5.30 p.m. Chad drove up the driveway to the Wainwright Ranch, and before he'd even put the truck in park, Emily leapt from the vehicle to meet Florence, who practically flew down the front steps. Hey, baby, Emily cooed into her daughter's hair, clutching her tightly. You okay? Florence sobbed into her mother's shoulder. Just, just so happy you're home safe, Mom. Emily stroked her hair and gave her a kiss on the top of the head, remembering what it was she'd been fighting for. Beneath it all, she'd wanted this area to be safe so that her daughter didn't have to live in fear every day. Son, you all right? Mrs. Wainwright asked, approaching the vehicle. Chad jumped out and smiled at her. Yes, ma'am. Miss Walker and her friends did a good job of getting me out of a pickle. He gave her a tight hug. You go wash up for supper now. She patted him on the back. Yes, ma'am, Chad replied, and scurried inside. The Wainwright matriarch looked Emily up and down before nodding. You did all right there, lady. My husband and I would be honored if you'd sit at our table for supper this evening. Thank you, Mrs. Wainwright, Emily replied, chest constricting a little. Now come on in out of the cold, the older woman urged. We got a fire going for a reason. She moved inside arms still securely around her daughter, and Kristen approached with a steaming mug of coffee. My pa would like to see you in his office, she said. Emily nodded and reluctantly let go of her daughter. Florence, I'll be back in a minute. She took the mug and walked into Mr. Wainwright's office, 
finding him sitting at his desk with a map of the city. There were several markings on it, and his lips were pursed as he leaned over it. Knock, knock, Emily said at the threshold. He looked up at her and smiled. Emily, come on in, he said. You still working? She raised an eyebrow. The work never stops in the apocalypse, he replied. Come over here, want your opinion. She leaned over the desk and cocked her head at the map. I've picked out the most likely spots one of those things could get across the river, he explained. It's an unlikely thing to happen, but I think it would be prudent to put up some barbed wire to catch any who do make it across. I like that idea, she agreed, and took a long sip of her coffee. I also think we need to see if we can scare up a few old radios that can be left on the bridges. If there are any other survivors in the city, or any who try to cross it, they might appreciate having someone to reach out to. Mr. Wainwright nodded. I'll talk to Eldon in the morning and see what we can come up with. He's going to be pissy, though, with all those extra people at his ranch. How many people did Zack get out? She asked. Something like a hundred and fifty, he replied. We got a lot of people we need to take care of. Well, tomorrow we'll start clearing the nearby ranches and taking stock of supplies, she suggested. He tossed down his pencil and stood up with a big smile. Well, as far as I'm concerned, that's a problem for tomorrow's version of us, he declared. I don't know about you, but I think we've earned a night off. She shot him a playful smile. What happened to the work never stops in the apocalypse? Well, the apocalypse will still be going on tomorrow, he said, and they shared a laugh. He put an arm around her, and they exited the office towards the decadent smells of the feast that awaited them after a long day. End of book four. Emily, Ernest, and the rest of the Bismarck group will return. In the next volume, the action shifts to El Paso, where the locals are fighting against both zombies and an invasion by the Mexican drug cartels. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.